Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Filmcast, a podcast about movies. I'm David Chen, and a film featuring Elvis without Elvis songs? That's like the Filmcast without limericks. Joining me today is Devinder Hardwar. Finally, another movie that fully checks off my Sofia Coppola bingo card. And Jeff Kanata. I have one request today, fellas. Don't be cruel. I know the two of you have suspicious minds and would prefer a little less conversation, but it's now or never to discuss what is always on my mind, which, of course, is Pork Salad Annie. (laughs) (laughs) You are the devil in disguise, Jeff. Um... (laughs) Is what I understand. Anyway, those are, of course, all vague and oblique references to the fact that today on the podcast, we're going to be reviewing Sofia Coppola's newest film, Priscilla, which is out in theaters right now. Lindsay Romaine will join us for that review. It's going to be a great conversation. You can find more episodes of this podcast at thefilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Find us across all platforms, including YouTube and Instagram at thefilmcastpod. Find us on TikTok at thefilmcast and support this podcast at patreon.com slash film podcast where you can sign up for ad-free episodes and exclusive after darks. Today on the podcast, got a little bit of film news. We got a couple emails to slash filmcast at gmail.com that we're going to discuss. Then some what we've been watching before we dive into weekly plugs and our review of Priscilla. So let's get into it, folks. This past week, Variety published a piece by Tatiana Siegel called Crisis at Marvel. Jonathan Major's backup plans, the Marvel's reshoots, reviving original Avengers, and more issues revealed. Now, I've read this article a couple times, and there's not that much that's brand new in Mm -hmm. the article. A lot of it summarizes issues that we already knew. These issues include uh, the fact that Quantumania had rushed visual effects. Uh, the fact that the studio is reeling from all all the stuff happening with Jonathan Major's and is struggling to figure out a plan to deal with it. The fact that a lot of their creative staff has been overtaxed uh, with the launch of Disney Plus and so many more shows they've had to deliver on it. Uh, so a, a lot of the stuff I- I- that's in the article is uh, sort of, you know, ha- has been known for, for quite some time. But there are a lot of juicy anonymous quotes. And there are, there are a couple of new pieces of information. For instance, the piece alleges that Nia DaCosta started working on her next movie before post-production of her current movie, The Marvels, was complete. Gasp! Uh, which is not... <laughs> it's not that that has never happened before. You don't yeah. start dating the new person before breaking up with the old person. <laughs> that has happened a couple times before. Yes. It's not, it's not yeah. like it's unheard of. Uh, Especially and, for gigantic movies, right? Like, so many of these things are also made by a committee of mm-hmm, people yeah, dealing with this work. We all know that Marvel movies are very producer-driven, so it's mm-hmm. not, like, completely, uh, you know, uh, out of the out of the realm of imagining that this might happen. Um, also, the the biggest, juiciest tidbit was that there, there have been quote-unquote talks to try to bring back some of the old Marvel people, including Robert Downey Jr.'s Iron Man and Scarlett Johansson's Black Widow. Man, um, uh, imagine those negotiations. Just like, oh, yeah, my salary, double it. I'll be back. Double Robert it. Robert Downey Jr.'s salary for Iron Man 3 was $25 million. Double it. My, <laughs> <laughs> my guess is it would be higher this time around. Okay, I have some thoughts on this. Um, Jeff Kanata, I'm curious what you thought reading this article. What was your reaction? Well, I reacted similarly to what you said, which is I didn't feel like, you know, as much, uh, as many mm-hmm. waves as this article seems to be making among the nerds online, it doesn't seem to uh, really... Um, you know, introduce new, many new ideas to the 
to what we already know is true. I think just on the face of it, you realize, yeah, you know, these movies have not been as good and they've not been uh, doing as well. And there's been this thinning of uh, the the Marvel Universe, uh, cinematic universe as a whole, and and sort of a dip in in quality and a dip in attention span. I think a lot of that, you know, has to do with uh, there's there's so much of it, and the TV content, uh, you know, helped to dilute the the product yeah. and stuff. Mm-hmm. Didn't that's connect. literally the word that Bob Iger used is like yeah. the the Disney Plus stuff diluted the creativity I, of what they're trying to do. Yeah, I appreciate him quoting me like that. Um, yeah. So he, the, he learned uh, it from you, Jeff. He learned yeah, it from you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the uh, so I, you know, I didn't come away from this article thinking there was any you know grand revelation, but uh, it is certainly uh, correctly uh, identifying a problem that uh, these you know if if we're going to return Marvel to the state of uh, you know cultural prominence that it has been, I I. I don't know what the what the plan of action is. I I prefer to think of it personally as just one lone Marvel zombie from way back. I prefer to think of it as this shining, beautiful thing that existed for what twenty three movies mm-hmm. and ended with uh, with Endgame. With right? Endgame, yeah. And now you know we can still have uh, good Marvel movies here or there, but that doesn't need to be the all encompassing thing that it once was. And I don't know if even chasing that is necessary. That right, said, right. that said, one of the big things the article introduces is like, hey, the the next wave of stuff is Marvel's take on the X Men, Marvel's take on Fantastic Four, two properties that have been done to death in in you know to varying degrees of success on the big screen, but maybe Marvel can add some new freshness to it. I don't know. I hope mm-hmm. as somebody who's a fan of those properties, that would be nice. But I also don't think. I, I'm not rooting for a, a, a return of Robert Downey Jr. and Chris Evans and you know those folks. Yeah, um, I'm not rooting for that. I think th- that story wrapped up beautifully and yeah. can be left to rest. And I hope that financial uh, motivation isn't what prompts those kinds of things. I would always hope it is creative motivation, and I don't see that. I don't see a motivation grand enough to require that, right? This, I the, mean, other than uh, the potential, you know, death of people actually loving the stuff, right? Like they, this is a crisis for them in in a very real that's sense. That's a DC so, term. <laughs> Can't use the that. Crisis of infinite Marvel versus, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, but no, it, it very much, to me, this is, it, I wouldn't say it's a great thing to happen, but you know what? Marvel has been ruling the world of pop culture for over a decade. So, <laughs> Have it be brought to its knees a little bit so that we can get some sort of like creative energy coming back, you know? Yeah. Uh, surely some supervillain had a had a plot like this, right? Like first things mm-hmm. must be destroyed for them to be reborn. I, I for one welcome our new non-Marvel overlords. Um <laughs> but I I do think I think there's an untold story that we're still not getting uh about not necessarily mismanagement, but basically how difficult it is to scale the Marvel machine. Mm-hmm. You may recall not too long ago, there was a story about Daredevil Born Again. Uh, yeah. That's supposed to be, it's supposed to be an 18 episode series that is going to reintroduce the uh, the character of Charlie Cox uh, into the world of, of Marvel. Uh, and apparently they got, you know, roughly halfway, not less than halfway, but like roughly halfway into the show, making actual episodes. Like the episodes were done. 
And then they're like, you know what? Uh, this is bad. This is bad. We're going to start over. <laughs> they threw it all out. They fired yeah. the people, the, the showrunners, and they reset everything. They started completely over again. Similar story happens in this variety piece where Mahershala Ali is uh, Academy Award winner. Mahershala Ali is... Uh, he in is the not mo- getting any younger. In the, He's in the least the mo- to be Blade. In the movie Blade, uh, which, by the way, was supposed to come out, I think, right about this, like, as yes. we're recording this. Um, when that movie was announced, the idea <laughs> of 2023 seemed like the future. It seemed like 2050 <laughs> to me. Yeah. Uh, but according to the Variety piece, the project has gone through at least five writers, two directors, and one shutdown six weeks before production. Uh, one person familiar with the script permutation says the story at one point morphed into a, mar- a narrative led by women and filled with life lessons, end quote. Oh, uh, can't Blade, have that. Blade, yeah, Blade was relegated to the fourth lead. A bizarre idea, considering that the studio had two-time Oscar winner Mahershala Ali yeah. on board. Have you so. seen Blade Trinity? Uh, does does not work out so well for Blade when he is uh, sharing. The <laughs> he's lead. he's the fourth lead in the movie. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, to me, those are both the same story. Which is Kevin Feige is you know is being asked, hey, the amount of content you made. Double it, as to quote Devinder Harper. Yes, like yeah, double it, triple it, right? The the number of Flood hours the zone is yeah, the term. The number yeah. of hours of stuff you made, you need to like quadruple it basically in the next few years. So he's hiring people, yeah, and he's yeah. like bringing on people he thinks you trust, and then like then they're getting far down the line in production, and he's discovering, hey, actually, maybe I don't trust those people that much, you mm-hmm. know, uh, and discovering that maybe they're taking things in the wrong direction. And the problem with that process is it's extremely expensive, according to this article. Uh, the uh, She-Hulk Attorney at Law episodes cost $25 million each, uh, which is more than an episode of Game of Thrones uh, towards the end. Yeah, and That's several indie movies. Exactly. Per uh, episode. And, and, and the reason okay. for that, presumably, is because lots of last-minute changes are required. You know, they get to the end, they finish the episode, they're like, hey, we got to get a scene where She-Hulk you know, caves this guy head, this guy's head in or something like that, you know? And, uh, By and sitting get, on him. <laughs> <laughs> Again, get out of my dream book. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I think there's a story to be told about Marvel mismanagement, you know, that hasn't really fully been told yet. Um, but sure, I think sure. it's all part we're, we're going to hear so much more. Like yeah, there yeah. are so, so yeah. many more scoops and like things waiting to come out. And that is, I'm waiting for the juicy details, but also, like at a certain point, they have to take a step back and be like, cultural phenomenons do not last. Mm-hmm. That's right. right? That's they right. don't last. What do you the, the Beatles were not around forever, right? Nothing they they is were here forever. for for a very small portion, and then they they left like repercussions. They their impact lived on for the future, you know. And I don't know how Disney and Marvel kind of deal with that, right? Because they have built this machine, they want the machine to keep keep performing optimally that's not the way pop culture works right you're gonna have to have uh some resets you're gonna have to have some moments where you sit down and think about what you're doing because you can't keep doing the same thing over and over again audiences get tired yeah i mean even look at comic books themselves yes like there's been it's waxed and waned right it's it it ebbs and flows there are times when they're insanely popular and times Mm -hmm. when the you know the nobody's reading them it's it so everything you can't you cannot be on top forever, and uh, I know I, I I for one am grateful for this amazing miraculous thing right. that happened. Mm-hmm. That yeah. They were yeah. able to create this this con- 
this thing that never existed before films that interacted and built to something. It was, it's a wild thing that even they even pull it off. And the idea that you could keep doing it, mm-hmm. I think is uh, unrealistic. They, they really need to take a step back and just like figure out how to tell good stories. Right. Because the, the goal has been pumping out the content for so long. And yeah, the Disney plus stuff definitely diluted them. Right. I think only a handful of those shows are genuinely great. The rest of them are kind of watchable. A hundred percent agreed. A hundred percent agreed. That's the ultimate Mo- problem. Most of the Marvel shows have been bad, in my opinion. And um, I do, like, it, it does make me wonder, like, the alternate universe where Disney Plus never happened, right? And, mm-hmm. like... No COVID. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I wouldn't even go that far, you know? Like, I don't, you Disney know? Plus was inevitable, like Thanos, you know? Like, mm-hmm. Disney Plus was always going to happen because everybody was looking at Netflix and be like, we got to... We gotta get our shit. Right, right. But on the I, internet, I wonder if it hadn't, know? right? Like wh- whether we'd be looking at a very different MCU today, sure. and I dare or, say we might be. You know? Why? So. Why was the impetus like, oh, we have the streaming thing? Let's get every, let's pour as much money as we can to build content for this thing, even though Netflix itself has not proven that it was a profitable endeavor. You know, like there, there was never, never like a real, a very realistic uh, judgment in terms of this. Like they were like, okay, let's invest in th- streaming. People will subscribe forever. You know, Disney will make money forever. That's the goal. I don't think storytelling was as much a priority and that's a shame yeah well we will see how things all play out when the marvels comes out uh apparently it's pretty short by the way like a little over 100 minutes so okay whatever the case is i I welcome it it's gonna be a short movie guys it's like 33 minutes per marvel (laughs) (laughs) as as was true in the early 2000s the x-men will save us again Mm. We'll see. They, they will bring justice to this universe. Yeah. I, you know, it may be a strange thing to hear come out of my mouth as somebody who has been a, a super fan of of comic book content for a long time. I too am ready for the next thing. I'm ready. Let's, mm-hmm. let, I'm ready to move beyond the dominance that comic book characters have had in in the cinemas. I think it would. It, I do think we will get to a place five, ten years from now. Where we go? Remember when it was all comic book movies all the time? It's like remember when it's we all, were so? Now it's we were, all you know Mattel properties. So it's all just <laughs> yeah. Mattel. As far I can't as wait. How, how did we get here? How did I we can't get wait. Here? Can't wait. It's can't like wait. in the eighties when uh, America loved Australia, right? That was a whole thing. Crocodile Dundee was a thing, right? We we grew out of it. It was a big thing for a while. Remember Crocodile when Australia, Dundee, the Marvel Cinematic Universe of the eighties? Aren't there remember, three of those movies? You know, yeah. remember when Australia was a thing, guys? Wow, I do remember. What a what a thank, silly time! Thank God nobody thinks about Australia anymore. You know, it's really Bluey. Bluey's we, the only Bluey, one doing it. Yeah, yeah. Just Australia's joke. on its way back, baby. Just joking, Australians. We love you guys. No, um, all my all my virtual assistants are set to Australian voices. It is the most soothing accent in the world <laughs> it's great because if it's right. you know if it tells you no it says nay <laughs> Jeff, that's that's one of the worst things you've ever done in this point nay <laughs> and there's a lot of competition all right anyway those are some thoughts on the state of the marvel universe right now let's take a break for a sponsor we'll be back with more of what we've been watching uh right after this this episode of the film cast is brought to you by better help As we approach the end of the year, I always find myself taking an assessment of the year that was, and oftentimes that can lead to uh, some critical thinking, some ways to get down and uh, be hard on myself. It can be a lot this time of year. Uh, You have a lot of family obligations, at least I do, and uh, sometimes that can lead to sad feelings, anxiety, but Adding something new and positive to your life can counteract some of those feelings. 
Therapy is one of those things that can be a bright spot amid all the stress and change, something to look forward to, to make you feel grounded and to give you the tools to manage everything that's going on. I am someone that believes in therapy, that thinks therapy uh, has been useful for me in my life. But I got to tell you, <laughs> oftentimes the thing that gets in my way when I think about therapy is scheduling and convenience. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try because it's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, to be flexible, and to be suited to your schedule. All you do is you fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. You can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. And I find just that much, just that convenience is all the difference in making it doable and sustainable. Find your bright spot this season with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash filmcast today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T. All right, there's a few emails I wanted to read to slash filmcast at gmail.com. But before we get to that, uh, there was an announcement from AMC this week. I'm reading from the AMC Theater's website. Introducing AMC Screen Unseen. Be first to see a new film on the big screen with a surprise twist. The movie will be unveiled at Showtime. Join us on November 6th. That's as we're recording this for a PG-13 screening. Now, by the time you're listening to this, that means it'll be over. However, there's also mm -hmm. going to be a separate thing called Scream Unseen, I think, um, which is a horror film uh, that is the, cool. the same thing. I mean, um, uh, Regal has been doing this for a while, too. So This is it's, like it's the cool Comic-Con thing where you go to Comic-Con and yeah. you go to a screening. You don't know what it's going to be. And then all of a sudden it's like, hey, look, it's, you know, uh, Scott Pilgrim. Oh, man, that was that was quite the moment. But yeah, no, Regal Theaters have been doing $5 mystery movie nights for a, a while now. And my brother goes to those quite often. And they often end up seeing really cool things. So, you know, a thing to do on a Monday night. Kind of rad, I think. Yeah. But uh, is it ever something you'd actually do, Jeff Kanata? I, I feel like we... That is the ultimate Jeff Kanata thing. I don't know what's happening. <laughs> I don't know what's going to be played. That would be pretty rad. Yeah. I, would, I If I had, uh, you know, no children and more time, I would... I would Absolutely. certainly do something like that. I would. That would be fun. I'd go with a friend. You know, like what are we going to see, and then leave if it's crap. That's five dollars. <laughs> like it you would can only. It yeah. would only work for me if it was a movie I had literally never heard of. That's well, the thing. Because yeah. then, if it's like a movie I've heard of, it's like, well, why am I watching it in this construct? This right is not now? meant for you, David Chen. This is meant for the <laughs> normal people, which do not have press screenings. Normies. Whatnot. Yeah, normies. Uh, I think the I think the the draw is the five buck part of it. Yes, the, mm, it's yeah, five yeah, bucks, yeah, right? Yeah, instead yeah, of yeah, fifteen yeah. or twenty. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, I mean, that's that's part of it. But you know, I I'd like to think it is something really cool, right? And and uh, that's mm -hmm. the promise of the. I think of it in terms of that Comic Con thing of like yeah. you don't know what this is going to be, but there's an inherent promise that it's something that's you're going to like, you know? So yeah. I don't know if it's like you show up and it's a PG-13 movie and it's, you know, made in Manhattan too. And it's like, oh, I don't, that's not, you know? The, yeah. The, the difference between, the, the difference I'm trying to draw between Comic-Con and this is that Comic-Con knows its audience, right? AMC is like, it's a PG-13 movie. It could be any genre. It could be meant, meant for any audience. And so that's a bit more of a risk. But I, I, I don't think they'd want to throw garbage at you. Is the thing. I like bet they it's want Marvels. people to come back. I'm guessing it's Marvels. Mm -hmm. If it's tonight and it's PG-13, yeah, yeah, I bet yeah. it's Marvels. Mm, wow, that would be intriguing. Yeah. 
gotta, gotta get bucks. some buzz going. I, yeah. I feel like it's gonna be like some old catalog movie, you know? Oh, no, really? they never do that. No, yeah. like so my brother's been to a bunch of these and he's always had a decent amount of success at getting an interesting movie that's coming up soon. So they're usually new movies. And uh, you get it a couple weeks ahead. That's It'll fun. It'll be like some like it hot or something like that. You know, something, some like something it cool. hot. It's yeah. not PG thirteen. PG thirteen exists. Okay, fine. Good movie though. Good yeah, movie. good movie. Yeah, pretty I good agree. movie. Hot take over there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine five dollars to see a movie that's PG thirteen? It's uh, it's a it's a talkie. It's the first talkie. It's <laughs> a really old. They played a really old movie. That'd be. Funny. I will only watch movies by the Lumiere Brothers uh, <laughs> at AMC. You know, it's, screen. It's unseen, Nanook so. of the North. Everybody, Are you excited? <laughs> Who's excited? All right. Well, if you go to this, let us know what your experience with it was at slashfilmcastgmail.com. Speaking of slashfilmcast.gmail.com, that's where you can send your questions, comments. There's a few emails I wanted to get to this week. Uh, this email comes in from Guy, writing in from South Australia. Guy writes in... I've never heard of that place. <laughs> <laughs> a very quick thank you email. Occasionally, I get waves of anxiety for no apparent reason, and I need something to take my mind off the racing and body scanning that tends to kick in. It happened tonight. I was home alone, so I put on my headphones to clean house and stay active to take my mind off things. I wanted something to listen to that would help me feel a little more happy and get closer to center again. So I chose the After Dark episode about how cell phones ruin movies and the loss of jizz in Star Wars. <laughs> Good all, one. I, all I can say is a heartfelt thank you, as I know you might have felt somewhat silly with the whole jizz discussion. What? Silly? No, that was hard-hitting journalism is what hard that was. Hard-hitting. Um, yeah, but man, that was just what I needed tonight. I feel happy living in a world with such good jizz appreciation and discussion from such fine folks. Well done. End quote. That comes in from a guy from South Australia. Uh, guy is, of course, referring to some of our recent After Dark episodes, which are available at patreon.com slash film podcast. So if you want to hear us discuss cell phone usage in movies, as well as uh, the loss of jizz in Star Wars, as well as this coming up week, The Holdovers, oh, which yeah. is our yeah. conversation on this week's After Dark. Then be sure to become a patron at patreon.com slash film podcast. Sign up for free episodes and exclusive aftermarks. Okay. Um, Joe from Vancouver writes into slash filmcast.gmail.com uh, about, uh, you know, re reacting to our conversation about Anatomy of the Fall, which was our review last week. Um, I was, uh, Joe writes in quote, I was particularly excited by Jeff's glowing review, which closely mirrored my own thoughts on a recent release. So I thought he and the rest of y'all should keep this movie on your radar. The Teacher's Lounge is a procedural drama set in a modern German elementary school plagued by a growing sense of paranoia. This film also explores truth. I'm sorry, I can't read correctly. This film also explores truth in such a way that weaves the audience through a series of compelling complications, each deftly alluding to contemporary ills, such as overreaching authoritarianism, social injustice, and journalistic due diligence. Again, I'd recommend this movie to everyone, to all members of the Filmcast, but especially to Jeff Kanata. I don't use social media anymore, so this seems like the best way to express my recommendation. Thank you for the show. Godspeed. Joe from Vancouver. End quote. Uh, thanks for the recommendation, Joe. Writing into slashfilmcast.gmail.com. Uh, I looked this movie up. Mm -hmm. uh, it has 100% Rotten Tomatoes, and it is streaming right now on Mubi. Uh, Mubi. Former uh, sponsor. Yeah, Mubi. Former sponsor of the podcast. I recently signed up for a three-month trial to uh watch uh, uh passages uh the new um ira Sachs movie right um anyway so uh i'm planning to check this out but i've heard it's incredible 
And yeah, I really want to watch it. Apparently, I got very like, close to watching it the other night. Couldn't oh. talk my wife into watching. We, funnily enough, I don't need to go into this, but we, there was something that happened at my kid's school, and it was like, oh, this is just a little too, oh. too real right now. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. we're not going to watch it. Yeah, I see, I see, I see. Uh, I assume because you got this email right from the I forwarded yes. you, right? Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I, I will try to check this out. I've heard it's great, but uh, Joe from uh, Vancouver recommends The Teacher's Lounge, which is streaming right now on Mubi in the United States. Uh, if you like Anatomy of a Fall vibes, apparently this is a good one to get into. Thank you, Joe, for the recommendation. You can always recommend things, ask questions, etc. at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. All right, folks, let's get into our conversation about what we've been watching this week. This week, I had a chance to check out a movie starring Annette Bening and Jodie Foster called Nyad. You guys heard of this movie? Yeah, this is uh, based mm-hmm. on uh, 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 the uh, NPR lady who swam, swam swimming yes. the NPR lady. Uh, Diana Nyad. Diana uh, Nyad. Diana Nyad is the movie yeah. that is the uh, real life person that this is based off of. It's directed by Jimmy Chin and Elizabeth Chai Vassarhelli, who uh, have previously made documentaries like Free Solo, which is incredible film. I believe this is their first narrative feature film. Uh, and uh, like some of their other movies, it's about somebody performing an, an, or attempting to perform an incredible feat that uh, many might see, think is impossible. In the case of Diana Nyad, it is her attempt to swim from Cuba to Florida. That is what she is trying to do uninterrupted and without any external assistance whatsoever, which I think is around a 50 to 60 hour swim, if I'm not mistaken. And to do it in her 60s, right? Wow. Right. So she had previously attempted to do it when she was in her late 20s, early 30s, I think. She had attempted to do it and failed. And then, you know, didn't attempt anything similar until she was in her 60s again. Uh, Which is like, wow, like if you failed when you were in your late 20s, early 30s, like the idea that you could achieve it in your 60s, um, some might think is uh, really unrealistic. And in fact, many people tell her that during the course of the movie. I overall think this movie is enjoyable. I am a big fan of underdog sports movies. Uh, and so Nyad is very much like that. It, it's a very much a biopic, like a conventional biopic in the sense that, you know, it has many of the similar beats of a biopic. It has, you know, you, you can, you can basically predict the entire plot of the movie, uh, you know, 10 minutes into the movie. Um, I think a lot of the filmmaking choices were not great. Uh, so for instance, a lot of the movie is Diana Nyad swimming and that is difficult to make interesting. And so what they do, the directors do is they have like flashbacks and they have like visions and other things. <laughs> They're doing uh, the 127 hours thing. Right. right that's exactly right. Except yeah, they, you're not trapped in one space. It's the whole right, ocean. Right. It's, it, that's exactly right. It's, it's, <laughs> that's a great reference. Um, yeah. And I found a lot of those scenes to be kind of hokey, kind of, kind of cringy, like kind of cheesy. Um, didn't, didn't love that, but here is what makes this movie worth recommending is you get to see Jodie Foster and Annette Benning acting off each other, you know, like that they, those, pretty are, great. those yeah. are great actors and I'm a huge Jodie Foster fan and, uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing her in true detective season four as well. And, you know, like it's, it's rare to see a, a big Jodie Foster movie these days. And so, um, to, to be able to see her in anything is great and she's great in this film and, and she has great chemistry with Annette Benning. So the movie also does a great job of making this task seem really challenging and also depicting 
uh, how difficult it must have been. Like you, you kind of buy that Annette Benning is attempting to do this. You know what sure, I'm saying? Like sure. it could be very easy to make it look fake and and oh, but overall, I'd say the visuals, the way they structured it visually, I'd say I'd say are, are, is very good. And there's a lot of questions that I had watching this movie uh, that the movie did a good job of answering. Like, uh, how does Diana Nyad eat while she's swimming? And mm-hmm. the answer is literally she's swimming alongside a boat. She's got to fi- just get fish in her mouth. Yeah. And jo- open her <laughs> mouth and grab fish. Well, th- that's another thing is like during the course of the swimming, she's like swallowing like massive quantities of seawater, right? Yeah. Like, um, yeah. And so like Jodie Foster, who plays her coach and friend in this movie, she needs to feed her while she's swimming, um, pipe water into her body while she's, you know, it's just that like, That sounds well, like assistance to me, but yeah. Well, yes. well, the thing that's very important is like she does not receive any swimming, any mm-hmm, physical mm-hmm, assistance mm-hmm. with the swim. So like sometimes like when she's, for instance, when she's, uh, you know, something something is going wrong with the swim, you know, right. people will like swim out to her to try to assist her. And she'll be like, don't touch me. Don't touch me. Because like <laughs> if they touch her, no, because if they touch her, it's like breaking. It's over. Yeah, it's, it's breaking the, um, you know, the spirit of what she's attempting to do, which is to swim there unassisted with no physical assistance mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, in the actual swim itself. And so I really appreciate all that. I, I, I appreciated how it showed that journey. Um, so anyway, overall, if you're into like a, a kind of inspiring underdog sports movie, I think you will appreciate Nyad, which is one of the top 10 movies streaming on Netflix as we record this right now. Um, I don't know. I don't think, I don't know if this is your kind of movie guys. I don't think, I don't hear you guys talk about underdog. Sports I movies. Not, not really passed over this. A number. I remember when it was happening for real in real time. Cause mm. uh, I was listening to NPR vocif- uh, you know, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. frequently at that time. And, um, uh, you know, I knew who Diana and I had was, and they talked about it a lot. Uh, yeah, cause, she, cause, she, cause decades ago she had already performed great feats of strength. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's an extraordinary, strength. it's extraordinary. It's extraordinary. I mean, as somebody, I did a, triathlon once and i swam a mile in the ocean and let me just tell you <laughs> it was not pleasant <laughs> can you tell uh, us about that because because yeah, yeah I'm, I'm curious like what what was your experience because the the swim from cuba to florida is 103 miles right it's insane so, so when you were swimming like what was your did you experience any of like well, you know, did you swallow seawater did you one yeah. mile one one hundredth of that <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah so yeah i mean you yeah you swallow it's yeah you get stuff in your mouth you're trying you know the you're dealing with waves. <clears throat> you're you're trying to maintain your heading, your direction. All of that mm-hmm. stuff is just ridiculously disorienting. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, you know. Also, I was you know doing a triathlon, so there's like a scrum of people around me, which was wild. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> just the yeah. the pure um, endurance of that is uh, is is remarkable. So I definitely was tempted a number of times to click on this movie to start watching it, but I. I don't know. Yeah, it's a the, it's a good poster too. The, the it's like, plot, oh, Jodie Foster. Yeah, Jodie Foster. In a it's a very striking poster. Um, I I think the plot of the movie is extremely generic. Like I said, yeah, Jeff, you're going to get ten minutes of this movie. You can predict everything that happens in the movie. Right? Sure. Yeah. So, but you know, it's uh, again some of the technical elements of the movie are still pretty impressive. And Jodie Foster's great in the movie. You know, yeah. so also not many vehicles for like older actresses to exactly. to really shine. So this is it's kind of cool that they get a sports movie. Yeah, I agree completely. I agree completely. Yeah. Uh, can I say one? Other quick tangential thing, Please. just because you brought up free slow solo. Yeah, um, I wasn't going to talk about this, but you brought up free slow, so I wanted to kind of mention it. Um, you know, I got the uh, Meta Quest Three uh, mm-hmm. VR headset. I'm a big fan of VR. And uh, last night, <clears throat> I was browsing around the the Meta TV channel that's part of the, the thing, 
and there is an hour long documentary about the dude, the free solo dude. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 In VR. And mm. I will tell you as sweaty palmed as I was watching free solo on a regular television or movie screen, the fact that it starts, this VR experience starts with him upside down. <laughs> you know, you know how they like to be like a shelf of a mountain mm-hmm. and they'll have to like go upside down Spider-Man style and, and, and climb and stick their feet in. And so he's doing that and it's fully 3D and you're there right next to him and you can look down and see how far and he's not tethered to anything. He's complete. He's soloing yeah. again, free, free soloing, whatever this area. You know, he's not doing the same place, but anyway, it is chilling to like be there in 3d in that space, hovering right next to him, able to look down and see how far it would be if he fell. And then there's another moment where he's training to do stuff like that. And so he's in a rope harness, but he falls he falls and he's like falls and the rope catches him and he's fine. But like you see mm. him fall and you go like, it's super easy to fall, dude. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's great. Anyway, it's a, if you have a VR headset, cannot recommend it enough. I can't remember what it's called, but it's like, you know, climbing by yourself or whatever it's called. Yeah. Right? There's not many things there. Yeah, yeah. It's not, not a ton of stuff, but it is well worth watching. Cause it, you feel like you're there and it makes it so immediate and so visceral. It's, ah, uh, it's crazy. Uh, that's awesome. Uh, yeah. and yeah, I'm, I'm really impressed with what these directors of, of free solo and, and Nyad are able to do because these are incredible feats and they do a great job of, of showing how difficult they are. Uh, you know, um, very minor spoiler, but Diana Nyad attempts to do this Cuba, Florida thing more than once, right? You know, she, <clears throat> she does not succeed on the first time. Uh, and you see how, dangerous it is and basically like even if you're able to complete it can you imagine doing one action for 60 hours it's, it'd be nuts like yeah y- you know at the end of it even if you've like done it for 20 hours at the end of that you're like completely destroyed yeah um any normal human would be completely destroyed but not diane and i because she's apparently incredible anyway so it's it's a really amazing thing to contemplate and um and yeah, I think the movie does a good job of highlighting like all the stuff that went into it. So the movie is Nyad. It's on Netflix. It gets a uh, a decent recommend from me uh, if you want an inspiring underdog sports movie. Uh, but don't expect to be surprised by any of the plot or uh, or the script. All right. That's one thing I've been watching. Devinder Hardwar, what have you watched this week? Sure. I want to highlight another Netflix thing, actually. It's Pluto, the adaptation of the Naoki Urasawa manga. Um, I remember reading this book when it came out in the mid 2000s, and this this ad- this manga itself is an adaptation, a modern reinterpretation of Astro Boy. So you may remember Astro Boy, the really cute little cartoon character. But what what if you took like that world, which is essentially very Blade Runner esque? It's a world where robots are intelligent, uh, humans are trying to live alongside them, people are fighting for robot rights. But what if you treat that like very very maturely? And uh, very, you know, just just very grounded. Not so much like the original Tezuka uh, cartoon and and manga. I think this this show is incredible. I just wanted to highlight it for everybody who is into science fiction. If you like our discussions around Blade Runner or anything like that, around AI or robot intelligence or anything like that, I think the show is a wonderful exploration of all those themes. It's essentially a murder mystery. It opens with. Um, 
basically, uh, we discover the seven most advanced robots in the world are being killed. And we don't know who's doing it. We don't know what's happening. But one of those robots is a detective. And he he goes and he starts detecting. So it's very much, it feels almost like Zodiac. Like the 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 lengths to which the show goes. And it's also a really interesting time to see the show right now. Because um, I feel like the original Pluto was a response to the Iraq War. Because this is a very deep series. It's a very deep thing. Because it was about um, the fallout from an unjust war. Right, the robots who fought in that are starting to have their regrets and doubts about being used as weapons and about the validity of war at all. It is a very fascinating thing to just see this thing drop as we're dealing with, you know, uh, warfare across the world at this point, but especially in the Middle East. So, I, I think this the show is very poignant. Um, you know, we we often ask questions about what what does it mean for a robot to love, right? What does it mean for AI to love? This show also asks. What does it mean for a robot to hate? And what could that lead to? And as humans and robots become more similar, like what, what could that that unionized being be? I think it's really it's really well written. It's really well made. The show's made me cry a couple of times too, because it also presents robot families, robot relationships. Like people, they are they are just people, you know, uh crying over their children being injured or killed. And the show just makes it all very, very affecting. So if you're into science fiction, if you're into any any of this type of stuff. I think the show is worth a watch. It is incredibly well made and it looks fantastic too. That's Pluto on Netflix. I like Devendra's state. This is how you know Devendra and I, uh, you know Devendra and the rest of people are are cut from different cloth. Devendra's mm-hmm. like, you know, we spend a lot of time wondering what does it mean if robots love, and I'm like, I, I, I do. Don't know. I also do. I don't know that I think that much about that, but I appreciate <laughs> really? that you we, are. We have talked about those kind of <laughs> themes in the Blade Runner like twenty twenty forty nine reviews That's and stuff true. like that. I appreciate that. Yeah. that you think about it. I appreciate that you think about it. That is know? a so. very confident. Like it is. It is the theme really of of so much of robot fiction that's the original blade runner as well a lot yeah. of bla- a lot of uh yeah blade runner uh, mm-hmm. a lot of uh black mirror right deals with that kind of stuff so you got to get some more affectionate robots in your life david you do my <laughs> roomba loves me <laughs> okay i clean it all the time okay thank you guys for that uh <laughs> jeff canada what is something you've been watching this week I also have a recommendation for a sci-fi piece that has absolutely blown me away. This is a new show on Max, the one to watch for HBO. It is called Scavenger's Reign. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. This has my highest possible recommendation, fellas. Wow. Yeah, nice. I am obsessed with this show. It is incredible. This is an animated show. The animation style, I think, is gorgeous. Very unlike anything else out there right now. It's kind of this very thin line drawn um, uh, sort of uh, muted pastel palette. Uh, But the idea of the show is that uh, there is a spaceship that had some sort of problem uh, that is revealed later on in the series. uh, And um, people jettisoned from the spaceship in, in escape pods. And a number of those escape pods landed on an alien planet. All of this happens before the show starts. You start the show just in media res. You start the show with people trying to survive several months in on an alien planet and what an alien planet it is. The, the ideas in the show, the level of imagination on display is 
incredible, uh, gobsmacking, to, in my opinion. I think, you know, th- th- I think it's easy in this day and age where we are inundated with genre storytelling across all media uh, to kind of think that a, a lot of the the ideas are used up, right? That you kind of see the same things over and over and over again. Here comes a show where it's like, no, 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 no. Let mm-hmm. us show you dozens and dozens and dozens of things that you've never seen before. Uh, the the way that the the life on this planet is expressed, it is a very hostile planet. And the thing that I think is so spectacular about Scavenger's Reign is that it depicts horrific, grotesque things that are also beautiful. There's a beauty and a, and a and a and a and a horrific nature, a grotesque nature that go hand in hand, and often it vacillates along that line in the same moment. It's extraordinary. So basically, it's it's a survivor survival tale of various groups of people, and I think one of the cool things about it is it it's not just one group at the start. Uh, it is a number of different people who are in different pods on different places on this planet trying to survive in different ways. It is very dark. It's gruesome at times. It is beautiful frequently. Uh, the, the vision of this planet, the way the, the, the life interacts, the way it moves, it is reminiscent to me of the sort of bulbous grotesqueries of uh, something like an Akira. You know, in Akira, mm-hmm. when things get really weird and stuff starts growing and, and morphing and getting disgusting, there is an element of that in the animation in Scavenger's Reign. And also it takes time to be exquisite, to be beautiful, to, to highlight the, the way this ecosystem works and, and, and the layers of it and how d- different life interacts with other life. And, but all of it is so very alien and so very unique and so very different. And what the, the individuals who are trying to survive there are forced to do and the, the harrowing things that they go through and all of the different dangers and threats that they have to deal with. This show is spectacular. I love it. Love it. And I should say, I should have mentioned this right at the top. It's 2D hand-drawn animation. It looks beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. Um, And we're kind of getting, I think, uh, a bit of a resurgence. You know, for a while, it was just all CG all the time. And, you know, this and, and Invincible Season 2 is on right now. And we already talked about Bluey. And there's a, there's a lot of sort of hand-drawn 2D animation, mm-hmm. I think, that is um, that is really worth watching. And, and I, I'm so pleased to see it because I think, you know, CG has its place. I love CG, but um, it's wonderful to see beautiful hand-drawn art. Did you did you see Scavengers, Jeff? Because that the, came out like several years ago. That was I did short. not. That's the short film yeah. that w- this is based on. No, I did not. I remember not. seeing that. That was on Adult Swim, and you could, you could just watch it online now. But yeah, that, that was a really beautiful and trancing thing. I need to check this out, Jeff, because it's very much in my wheelhouse. Oh. And I do want to say Pluto also has like great 2D animation. So yeah, we are, we are seeing a great animation resurgence right now, for totally. sure. I was definitely thinking about you a lot, Devendra, when I was watching this. I, I think you're going to love it. As, as think... you see all these grotesque, bulbous things. Like, <laughs> yes. Yeah, my you know, jam. You know, yeah. And there's also a robot that might love in this show, too. There's a, there's a robot. I uh, think companion. these are defining questions. Like, uh, Dave, if you're not thinking about it now, 
You got to think about how you treat your machines because they will remember. And also <laughs> think about things that are bulbous. Mm. It's true. But Dave, uh, you should watch this too. Yeah, this show is uh, phenomenal. I will check it out this week and I'll, we'll, I'll, t- I'll discuss it next week. So I'll check it out yeah. this week. Um, the movie, I'm sorry, the TV show is Scavenger's Reign on Max, the one to watch for HBO. Uh, we also got a, a listener wrote in about it at slash from catchgmail.com. They highly recommended it. So I'm like, okay, um, uh, I, I'm going to check it out. So thanks for the rec, Jeff. And I'm glad you had a great time with it. Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. I will talk about a movie I saw. Uh, it's called Fingernails. Dave, I lasted an hour in this movie, and then I was out. <laughs> it's a great trailer. It is a very good trailer for this thing. I was yeah. going to watch this for this week, and I lasted an hour, and I could not endure anymore. So like, you may love it. I don't know what you think of it, but I just wanted to throw that in there. <laughs> okay. Uh, Your view is... is dot, dot, dot on the chalkboard. Dude. Okay, okay, like, okay. Um, so Fingernails is a new movie that's streaming right now on Apple TV+. Plus. It's directed by a guy named Christos Niku. Niku? Niko? Um, anyway, Christos Niko became famous when he directed a 2020 film called Apples uh, that relatively few people have, stream, uh, have seen. It's streaming right now on Apple TV+. Plus. Kind of a Yorgos Lanthimos-esque writer-director. Uh, basically, that's your jam. Of, that's a that's a Chen oh, jam. Absolutely. Who imagines like what if the world was different in this one very specific way, right? Yeah. Like, uh, what if the world was in our world, but you had to compete to get a mate, or else you'd turn into an animal? You know, like whatever. You know, um, and in the case of um, fingernails, it's kind of the same thing. It's like what if our world, but there is a test that can scientifically prove whether or not you are in love with someone, and the way to conduct that test is by ripping off your finger, one of your fingernails, ripping off one of their fingernails, and you put it in a machine, and the machine tells you whether you're both in love with each other. Well, uh, it, says, so, it says whether neither of you is in love, one of you is in love, no. or both of you is in love. Yes, and if it says, so it's, it'll say 0% means neither of you are in love, 50% means one of you is in love, but it can't tell you which one, Right. and 100% is, is, is you're both in love. <laughs> It's ridiculous, but I, <laughs> I I think the premise to this is brilliant. Yes, brilliant. Uh, the idea is, by the way, the, the the concept behind it is that like that your fingernails retain some kind of useful information about your mental and psychological state. Can, can, do of, you only have ten tries to do this? By the way, well, they grow back. Fingernails <laughs> well, grow but, back. But, I don't know. What, when you rip it off, <laughs> I think what what is the pertinent information here is that it is excruciating. So there's no, there is some mm-hmm, mm-hmm. sunk cost into finding out this information. You both have to go through an excruciating process. Yeah. Have you seen yeah. Evil Dead? Uh, do <laughs> do that to yourself right now. Yeah. Thank you. 
It's about, and so it's basically about this facility that Luke Wilson runs um, that is like helping people to achieve a good result on their test, right? So like they go through exercises where they uh, try to increase people's love for each other so that when they get to the test, uh, that they will receive the good result and like society can then scientifically validate whether or not they are truly in love. Uh, but the way they do that is very funny. I think it's a, it's, it's a kind of absurdist. Exactly. It, it, yeah. it doesn't feel <laughs> to quote, uh, Logan Roy. These do not seem like serious people. Um, <laughs> I mean, they, it's very much the lobster too. talk about, you know, that whole thing. I, I guess, but it's a very the, similar premise. What, yeah. Yeah, one, one of the big differences in The Lobster, I would say, is like literally in the opening scene of The Lobster, you see evidence that what actually happens in The Lobster, like the stuff that's supposed to happen in The Lobster actually happens. Right, right, like, right. Um, you see people do actually transform into animals and so on. And, and um, whereas in this movie, uh, let's just say throughout the movie, it tries to seed in doubt that this machine may actually be accurate. And perhaps... That, you know, machines can't actually tell us whether we're really in love or not, you know, seems to be a question that the, the movie's asking. Uh, like for example, one of Luke Wilson's techniques is to make sure that you're in love with someone is every time they leave, you give yourself an electric shock. Right, right. So you can, so you, it's like aversion therapy. You associate this extremely unpleasant. But there's like, uh, a, you know, a dozen of these like dumb like what a what a child would come up with as to yes yeah yes uh so i i will tell you jeff canada i was watching this movie with my wife and i'm going to say around i was four, also watching it with my wife go ahead and go. 40 40 <laughs> minutes into the movie i said to my wife you know we don't have to finish this <laughs> Less time than I did. We got to wow. an hour. We don't have to finish it. And, and and the thing is, we were already we were already going to watch Haunting in Venice. And so I was like, hey, let's just, a much more fun movie. Let's just switch yeah. over to Haunting in Venice. And she's like, no, let's. I want to finish this. And so we finished it. And uh, we deeply regretted that decision. Um, <laughs> so I got to know what to pull out. You got to pull I out. Peaced yeah. out. Oh, we were. The, my wife was like. We, we need to stop. <laughs> this is, it, 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 I'm taking the remote away from you. Jeff. Such a yeah. shame because I think the premise is really, really uh, sets. It's a great sci-fi premise. It's a great, mm -hmm. like it sets up a lot of really cool questions that you would think the movie would be interested in, 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 in uh, investigating. Absolutely. Also, great, great cast too. Like Jesse incredible Buckley, cast. Incredible. Incredible. Ahmed, Jeremy Allen White. Oh my God. Academy award winning Emmy nominated, you know, Academy award nominated cast. Um, and here's the thing guys, you know, Jesse Buckley is one of my favorite actors alive today. And I, I'm, I'm basically going to watch anything she's in. She's awesome. And, and let me tell you, watching this movie really tested my love of her. <laughs> Was, was it like pulling fingernails? She is she is fine in the film. She doesn't do a bad job or anything. It's really the script that's the problem. I think everybody right? does a fine job. Yeah, like the performances yeah. aren't bad. Yeah, it's the script is really rough, and it is, it is so glacially glacially slow. paced. Yes. It is just so little happens. Yes, during most of the movie, the definition and of plodding. It is. Yes, it is so slow. Just so slow. That's the problem with the movie. <laughs> is, is the soundtrack just fingernails on chalkboard? Like that <laughs> Might would as be. Well just, be. Just, gotta keep it, all the it, themes it's going. It's so slow, and it's not particularly insightful. I have to say. Like, like, it's not like at the end of the movie, you're like, again, bring up the lobster again. At the end of the lobster, you're like, oh my, you could talk about the ending of the lobster for like three hours, right? Like, oh, like what was, 
what, what do you think happened? What do you think he did there? What happened there? What was going on there? You know, like this at the end of this movie, I never want to think or talk about it again. That's kind of <laughs> that's kind of where it's at. Right now, right? I'm really glad to hear that because I was yeah. I thought there's definitely the potential that there's like some amazing ending in this no. movie that I'm never gonna see. No. All right. Good. It's just people being really <laughs> It's like, I, yeah, I, I don't even, I was going to say like uh, the lobster is a great comparison too, because yes, the, the stuff people do in the lobster is kind of goofy, right? Like, have you seen the lobster, Jeff? Have you seen yes, the movie? Yes. Yeah. The things people do in that movie are kind of goofy, but it's like the premise is real, right? And it feels like the premise is not taken very seriously in this. Like even people in the universe of the movie doubt the premise. Uh, right. in this movie right yes and so that's the problem with the movie is like it's not you you need something more serious something more firm to hang a premise like this off i don't know if that's thing. true i don't know if that i would identify that as a problem having only seen an hour of it yeah. i i i liked the sort of uh satire of it i i liked the i liked the fact that all of luke wilson's plans to make you love someone on the face of them are just dumb like i thought that was the absurdity of it is the, the fact that people are so desperate to be to be told that they are in love to be reinforced mm -hmm, there yeah. this feeling that is purely subjective right to have some sort of objective thing tell you yes you're in love it's a good thing that you're with this person like the lengths that we are willing to go to that is just stupid on the face of it i i liked i thought that was a clever thing like that made that resonated with me of like yeah people are willing to like hit themselves in the head with a ball peen hammer if you're just gonna say you made the right choice you know but right 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 yeah that's but true. yeah my my assessment of the problem of this movie is that so little happens and it's <laughs> yeah. so yeah. slow and everybody is just meandering through everything yeah. it yeah. is it is aimless and listless i i would add the only thing i would add is i think that the movie doesn't do a great job of defining what it means to be in love as told by the machine you know mm, yeah and and that that is a problem um towards the later part of the movie when like it becomes really important what that actually means mm. um so anyway uh not a great movie, unfortunately. So funny. Great, I, I great thought to see for sure you'd be like, no, Jeff, this is great. No, great uh, to I see the, <laughs> just because you're just, Jeff just comes in with the default assumption, I'm going to think he's wrong on everything, which is, <laughs> yeah. which is very healthy. Very Passes healthy. precedent. That's all. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that's Fingernails. It's a new movie streaming right now on Apple TV Plus. I hope you got more out of it than I did. Devendra Hardwar, hit us up with something else you've been watching. Sure. Uh, like keeping up the animation train going for this episode, I want to recommend Blue Eye Samurai, the new series that's on Netflix right now. It's uh, it's created by Michael Green, who is a screenwriter known for things like Logan and Blade Runner 2049. And I generally like his work. Um, this is very much a straight up uh, samurai revenge story, but it's told in such a way it uses a 3D CG animation. So it's not quite hand drawn, but it has a hand drawn look. Um, I think it's just it's just phenomenal. It, it, it's essentially one character who is a mixed race samurai on a you know mission for revenge, and we follow their journey. You know, uh, fighting all the villains, and everything. I, I feel like if you're into the samurai stuff from Kill Bill, in fact, Battle for Honor and Humanity uh, d does play in the very first episode of this, and maybe that that was a choice they shouldn't have done. Um, 
but it looks great. The action is fantastic. It's really well written. Um, I love all the characters. It has a great uh, voice cast who includes George Takei, Masi Oka, Kenneth Branagh is in the show, guys. Kenneth Branagh in the, in the Samurai show. That's kind of nice. cool. And they also do, um, just having read a little bit about this, like they have done a lot of like pre-visualization work uh, when it comes to the fight sequences. And there is just some insanely great choreography here. So one thing I love about samurai films and sam- samurai anime in particular is when things can just go buck wild. And in this show, I see, you know, I, I see our main character knock somebody's teeth out you know, with a wooden kendo sword, then use those teeth as a projectile to, you know, attack other people uh, in in like a, a very graceful swing. It's just really creative, really, really well done. If you like uh, samurai tales in general, um, I, I think it's uh, I think it's fantastic. Like this is uh, this is the sort of thing that makes me love animation, this and Pluto. So it's very wild. I've come across two series now that remind me just like you know animation is is you you could do anything like animation is infinite and this one is just telling a very well done well choreographed samurai story so check out blue eye samurai on netflix very cool uh, the dream of animation is alive and well on netflix for Love now it. at least even though they like uh, I yeah. believe they gutted like a bunch <laughs> of their animation studios but hey but this, we got these things right this now this is all the stuff that happened before they did that so yeah yeah it's it's unfortunate but i'm glad you're enjoying it uh, blue eye samurai on netflix Jeff Kanata, hit us up with something else we're watching. Took uh, took a look at a new, or I think it's new. Uh, it was in the new Amazon Prime movie section. Uh, a new documentary called Robert Irwin, A Desert of Pure Feeling. Uh, looks like this was uh, technically a 2022 film, but <clears throat> um, I took a number of art studio classes in college. Um, I was very fascinated with modern art and uh, learned a lot about um, modern artists. And I, I'm, I have um, so much interest in the world of modern art. I'm always attracted to documentaries about it. Um, I don't know how I missed. I, I was not aware of Robert Irwin. The, this documentary kind of explains perhaps why that might be, but he is a, a very large figure in the world of modern art. I don't know if either of you have heard of him, but um, this is a fascinating documentary, one I highly recommend. Uh, it, part of the reason I may not have heard of him is that he may be the most pretentious artist <laughs> of all time. He literally, <laughs> uh, it seems like a, a fascinating dude and one I was very interested to learn about uh, in watching this, but he um he did not allow people to to record his work um he, so there was no pictures allowed of his work he had made this big splash in uh i guess the 70s 60s and 70s um and uh but refused to let people record it so there's no record it was all about you had to be there to see it uh and he would do these uh these incredibly intricate paintings for example he did a painting that is literally like you look at it and it's just a canvas that looks like a color. But if you get up close to it, you realize it's three dots in clumped together, repeated an absurd number of times. So he basically, and he did it all by hand. So he would spend like, you know, 12 hours a day for three years writing dots, like going blind, writing, making dots on a, so you know, just this incredibly labor intensive stuff, but then he wouldn't allow anybody to record it. 
and the documentary talks about how he, later on as he progressed through his life, he got even more uh, abstract in that he stopped making art. He stopped making things. He only allowed, he, he started doing these installations where he would, somebody would ask him to make an installation in a place. He wouldn't look at the place. He wouldn't, um, he wouldn't go to the place. He wouldn't, he would just say yes. And then he would go there and whatever feeling he had, he would create something. And usually it was this very ephemeral, like the way light bounced around the room and it's really pretentious stuff, but I love <laughs> that. Sounds like modern art, baby. Yeah. It's fascinating. Fascinating. <laughs> really cool documentary. If you're interested at all in a, a very interesting mind at work that really kind of, uh, there's a lot of interviews with him for, for years of his life, he would just travel around and talk to people. And he thought that their sort of experience that he was having was his art. And it's it, it just a wild uh, approach to living and approach to creating an artistic life. And one I got a lot out of. So again, this documentary is called Robert Irwin, a desert of pure feeling. Very cool, Jeff. I wouldn't have pegged you as being super into modern art, but, uh, I'm really? glad you, Oh yeah. yeah. I, you know, I, I, you know, I got a degree in theater and I we did a lot of, you know, avant-garde stuff. And I, I was very into the, you know, Marcel Duchamp and like the, the modernists. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I was fascinated with all that stuff. Very cool. Uh, well, I will try to take a look at that. Robert Irwin, like people like that, I think drive me. <laughs> they they irritate me, you know. Like I they, a little bit. I, yeah, I I can understand that. Yeah. feeling, and I think like I I described him as pretentious. Like I think that's kind of a, an unavoidable right. uh, <laughs> label. Well, like we we try to not use that word on this podcast. I think because <laughs> well, it's it's a it's a pretty. Um, it's pejorative, right? And I don't. Well, it's pejorative, but it's also like not that descriptive. But I think in the case of this guy, it's accurate. Like <laughs> yeah. this is one of the times when I think it is appropriate to use it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, but I also yeah. I don't. I admire him. Like mm -hmm. the 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 chutzpah to just devote your life this way, and and every turn, this dude shunned money. You know, like he 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 turned away from what could have been an extraordinarily lucrative career as an artist he he was in a position to you know sign his name to anything and make millions right and instead he was like no no one can know about me and now no one can own the things that i make no one they're not purchasable because they're not things and he just like lived as a vagabond and turned away from you know commercialism and materialism whole whole cloth and so like part of me goes I, I got to give it up to somebody who lives, who, who, who walks the walk. You know what I mean? Like he's not just, you know, speaking pretension. He's, he literally believes in these ideals and devoted his life to them. And it's, it's an, it's an amazing thing to see. That's fair enough. A, a man's got to have a code sometimes, you know? Yeah. So. All right. Just a couple of other quick things before we wrap up or what we've been watching segment, I wanted to give a quick shout out to Our Flag Means Death Season 2, which is streaming right now on Max the One to Watch for HBO. This show had one of the most chaotic episodic release schedules ever. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I don't know, um, Jeff Kanata, like, do you have a, do you have a, if a, if a show is going to be released episodically, do you have a, do you have a preference for how it's released? You know, like, I, I, I'm partial to the, uh, 
drop two to three episodes initially and then one episode a week. Yeah. You know, like that's a good I, one, I, I would get on that train. Yeah. yeah one episode a nice. week. One uh, episode a week. Start with a couple so I can get a feel for it. Exactly. Yeah. That's a great one. That's a great one. Our Flag Means Death had a three, two, two, one release schedule. So three episodes first week. Two episodes next week, two episodes the following week, and then one episode for the finale. I don't, I don't have a huge problem with that because it's a half an hour show. Yeah, it's, it's not a short a show. Hour show. Yeah, I disagree. This is one of the most outrageous things that has ever occurred. <laughs> um, so, In the history of humanity. Yes, yes. <laughs> so we have to agree to disagree there. All that said, uh, the show is highly enjoyable in season two. It's real, like really, the the plot kind of falls by the wayside in in this season, in my opinion. It's really just hanging out with these characters. Uh, and like reconfiguring them slightly from episode to episode. Uh, and uh, for, that's for most of the season. There's some p- pretty plot-heavy stuff at the beginning and towards the end. But uh, I still think the show is highly, highly enjoyable. Um, we talked about season one. I haven't heard you guys mention season two yet on what we've been watching. Is this something you have had a chance to check out yet? or? It's what I forgot it came out. There's Me too. Yeah, 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 yeah. Watched it. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah well, I love the, season one, though. The entire season is out. It's really all about vibes and hangouts and... Uh, but the characters what fun characters like, to hang out with. It, you know? Absolutely, hundred uh, percent. I I had a great time with our flag means death season two. I would recommend it. Um, it's just it's just a really fun time. So uh, it, that is streaming right now on Max. Uh, Jeff, I think you got one last thing. Yeah, real briefly, I want to mention, uh, you know, I checked out this very short, I think it's like 17 minutes, maybe even less. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, This little documentary feature that showed up on uh, uh, Apple TV Plus uh, about the new uh, Beatles song that has been released. Um, And, you know, this kind of grew out of the Let It Be sessions that Peter Jackson, um, you know, remastered and and uh, used technology to kind of turn into a watchable thing. Uh, and we talked about that when that happened. I was a huge fan of that. I just think it's incredibly fascinating to sort of be in the room with the Beatles working together. I'm a big Beatles fan. Um, and this is an extension of that. Basically, what happened was in the 90s, the Beatles uh, – well, the, the the surviving three Beatles uh, decided they could uh, come together and make a um, come together. He said they could make a uh, an, a new song using some um, uh, recordings that John Lennon had done just in his house with a piano, uh, and they tried to do it, but it was problematic because he was just in his house on a piano, and so every time his vocal, every time he was singing, the piano was you know over the top of it. And so they had, uh, uh, you know, they couldn't add any instrumentation because they had this pesky like piano there. Well, along comes Peter Jackson, you know, 20 years later, 30 years later, um, with this, this technology that let him pull out individual vocal tracks from very cacophonous source recordings. And he, he was like, Hey, we could, you know, put this in my computer, beep, bop, boop. And all of a sudden you have John Lennon's, vocals without the piano just beautifully That's super cool yeah amazing I, I love how peter jackson has become like the super grover of uh of media archiving <laughs> yeah. right it's like i will save this yeah with the power of technology power of ai um and so they you know uh now also george harrison has passed um in you know the early 2000s and so uh it was just ringo and paul who got together and were like well we have this this thing. And we have George Harrison. When we tried in the nineties to do this, George like laid down some guitar tracks as we were trying to do it. We abandoned it. Now we actually can do it. And so they put out this new song. I happen to think the song is 
great. It's lovely. Um, but this little, you know, very short feature on Apple TV plus explains the process and has, um, audio from, you know, new audio from, uh, Paul and Ringo and, uh, John Lennon's son kind of describing how this all came together and what happened. And I think it's really, really interesting. I, I just think, you know, for all the ills and scary parts of AI that, you know, everybody is quick to point out and I'm among them, there's some magic. There's some magic that's possible. And this is an example of magic where these incredibly talented people who have passed away are, are able to, to, you know, collaborate on this, this new track that sounds modern and beautiful. And it sounds like a Beatles song. That's what's so amazing. It sounds like a Beatles song and you hear, you know, you hear the justification for it. You hear the description of how it happened. And it's, I, I, I really thought it was lovely. Very cool. Uh, so that is now and then, and it's streaming right now on Apple TV plus. I feel like it's streaming in a couple places, but I'm not sure. Well, maybe I, I saw it on yeah. Apple TV plus. Very cool. Uh, and that is what we've been watching this week. Let's take one final break for a sponsor. We'll be back with more right after this. With LinkedIn jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. All right, folks, let's do a few weekly plugs. Weekly plugs are part of show each week where we plug something else we've been making. Uh, I want to give a big shout out to my newsletter, Decoding Everything at decodingeverything.com. I'm doing this new thing where rather than like write a big movie review and have that be the, the main thing, I'm trying to like uh, write more frequently and comment on some of the stuff uh, that's going on in the news. Uh, so this week I discussed things like uh, the head of HBO harassing TV critics on Twitter as well as Sam Bankman-Fried getting convicted on all seven counts of money laundering and fraud and uh, a bunch of other things that I think are interesting in the world of movies, TV, tech, and the media. So check it out, my free newsletter, Decoding Everything, at decodingeverything.com. Divin, your hardware, give us your weekly plug. Sure, I spent some time with Apple's new MacBook Pros, and I know people listening uh, often ask me about which computers to get, so... You've been waiting for a new MacBook Pro. Boy, is it a great time because I, I think both the 14-inch and the 60-inch are pretty great. My one piece of advice, do not buy the base level 1599 model because it only has 8 gigabytes of RAM. And never, never do that. 16, at least. In the year of our Lord, 2023. It's ridiculous. Apple is releasing a computer that has 8 gigabytes of RAM. That costs $1,600. Yeah. Apple, I mean, I looked at my activity monitor as I was writing this review. I was using like 12 to 13 gigabytes with just web browsers and Evernote and Slack. <laughs> so I don't know what Apple's doing here. But mm. uh, yeah, please, please. 16 gigabytes or bust, folks. Jeff Kanata, your weekly plug? I do a comedy science show called We Have Concerns. Uh, my co-host is Anthony Carboni, who you may know from Star Wars things. He hosts a lot of Star Wars things. But he and I have been doing this comedy science show for quite a long time. It, it is it is an award-winning show. We we won a podcast award for it, and it is uh, it is a, a show where you can learn something and laugh along the way. It's goofy and silly, and we make a lot of uh, uh, 
dumb jokes and, and he makes good jokes. I make dumb jokes, but, uh, it, you also can come away learning something. It's really fun. And, uh, the newest episode <clears throat> that's out is about, uh, debunking a very prominent, uh, assumption that people have made uh, about man, the hunter, which is, you know, we all assumed, Oh, the, Back in, you know, the prehistoric times, men were the hunters, women were the gatherers. Well, it turns out uh, that's not necessarily the case. And uh, we look into the uh, the data about that. You can find it at wehaveconcerns.com. Finally, I want to give a shout out to patreon.com slash film podcast, which is where you can support this podcast uh, and sign up for ad-free episodes and exclusive After Darks. This week, we'll be discussing The Holdovers, but we usually have a lot of fun discussing movies and a bunch of other topics, including your emails and questions. Of course, we never want anyone to donate. If it in any way causes them financial hardship, you can always support us for free by leaving a review for us on Apple Podcasts, sharing one of our reels on Instagram, or just telling your friends about the show. It really does help. Thanks to everyone who keeps this podcast going. Let's get to our review of Priscilla. Hi. What's your name? Priscilla Boyer. You like Elvis Presley? Of course. Who doesn't? What are the kids listening to these days? Bobby, Darren, Fabian, and you. <laughs> Just what is the intent here, Mr. Presley? You got women throwing themselves at you. Why my daughter? Well, sir, I happen to be very fond of your daughter. She's much more mature than her age. 21! Yeah. 22. What? That's 22. 22. You don't have to worry about it. Black hair and more eye makeup. I don't know if I like it. What do you mean you don't know if you like it? Welcome to the film cast review of Priscilla. Joining us today for a review, she is a writer who has whose writing has appeared at Bright Wall Dark Room and Nerdist. Lindsay Romaine, welcome back to the Filmcast, Lindsay. Hello. Thank you guys for having me here today. So excited to be here. It's great to have you on. I'm going to read a plot summary of this movie from the internet. When teenager Priscilla Beaulieu meets Elvis Presley at a party, the man who's already a meteoric rock and roll superstar becomes someone entirely unexpected in private moments. A thrilling crush, an ally in loneliness, and a gentle best friend, end quote. I don't know if... Uh... <laughs> Didn't need to have those like last qualifiers. You're going to do some, something unexpected, period, yeah. right? Yeah. That feels like it could have been enough for a that, summation of the and, movie. And it might have been truer to the tone of the film, perhaps. <laughs> um, but anyway, obviously the, the major details of uh, Priscilla Presley and Elvis Presley's life and marriage uh, are well known. Uh, so we may refer to them during our pre-spoiler conversation, but we will try not to spoil how the film handles these things and particularly how the film ends until after the spoiler section. So uh, those are the ground rules for today. All that said, Lindsay Romaine, you have been a big fan of so Sofia Coppola's work. And I thought before we get into um, Priscilla, you could just tell us a little bit about why uh, you're such a big fan of her work and why it resonates with you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, I've been a big fan since The Virgin Suicides came out, which is obviously her first film. And that was one of the first films I saw as like a young woman that really made me feel like cinema could be for me <laughs> too, you mm -hmm. know, or at least like that kind of auteur cinema. Um, you know, I watched my male friends have that kind of reaction to like Seven and, you know, Tarantino <laughs> and stuff like that. And it, I like those films too, but this was like the first time I felt like my 
vision of the world was being captured in a way. You know, I think Sophia's attention to detail, the way that she lingers on, the camera lingers on fabric and perfume bottles and just little things like that that I think women see, not to be too like (laughs) gender essentialist about it, but I do just think there's like, you know, you carry that into your film watching. And so, um, yeah, so I think that was really profound for me as, as a young woman. And I think I've, you know, always been really receptive to the things that she chooses to make films about too. Um, you know, throughout her career, I think she's made some interesting choices. I don't love all of her films to the same level. I'd say my favorites are like Virgin Suicides, Marie Antoinette. I also really have a soft spot for the bling ring. <laughs> so um, <laughs> yeah, so yeah, I've just, I've always been interested in what she does. And I think we have so few female auteurs like this, uh, you know, you know, really kind of, you can count them on a couple hands, unfortunately, the ones that get this kind of uh, exposure and, you know, talked about in film circles the same way. So she always just felt immediately like kind of my window into the conversations I like to have about movies, the types of things I like to see. So yeah, she's a very special filmmaker to me. Wonderful. Well, we are currently in a very interesting cultural moment around Elvis. Uh, the Elvis biopic by Baz Luhrmann just came out last year, made almost $300 million worldwide and was critically acclaimed, nominated for a bunch of awards. I was therefore extremely interested in this movie, Priscilla, because it's theoretically telling a similar story, but from a very different perspective. Uh, let's talk about your overall thoughts on Priscilla, Lindsay Romain. What do you think of this movie? Yeah, I really loved this movie. I was not, I think my expectations were a little low, maybe just from some of the muted conversations I heard about it, um, you know, prior to seeing it, which I try to tune that out when I watch something, but it's not always, not always entirely possible. Um, So yeah, I kind of, I kind of went in, you know, hoping, hoping to like it, expecting the best, but maybe not having the, you know, the biggest hopes for it. And I think that helped me a lot because I was really enchanted by this film. I felt sort of immediately tapped into its wavelength, probably in many ways for what I just discussed, that I think Sophia has this attention to detail that for me as a woman is almost like a magnet. <laughs> like I just was immediately tapped in. The film opens with like someone's like like feet in carpet. And I was just like, there we go. That's like, that's <laughs> Sophia, you know, that I know. Um, and so, yeah, I was really kind of spellbound by it. I think it's it taps into what I think she does best, which is, you know, I think it's been a while since we've had a film from hers that is like about a young woman experiencing the world kind of at a distance, being pulled through something a little bit against her will, um, and us kind of being the voyeurs of, of her life as she's a voyeur to her own life. So um, yeah, I, I really, really loved it. I think there's a, a lot to discuss. I think it feels like a, a slight film at first. And the more you think about it, the more it reveals itself to you, the more there is kind of under the surface. So yeah, I was, I really thought it was a beautiful film. Devendra Hardor, your overall thoughts on Priscilla. Yeah, I, I really liked it as well. And I think, um, I feel like Sofia Coppola is also perfectly situated to tell this story because like you're saying, Lindsay, she, she has often done films about uh, young women trapped in their circumstances. And for me, the first movie of hers that really hit was Lost in Translation. And I remember seeing that in theaters um, that was during college. And just kind of being stunned by like, oh, oh, you can make a movie like this. That is just like a mood piece and a tone poem and two characters just kind of having a very, very intimate relationship with each other, um, even if it's not like a traditional thing. And I think this movie feels 
as interesting on that level. Um, obviously, it's like about a much more famous couple. Um, but I think there's a lot going on here. I think Kaylee Spiney is um, is incredible just because the movie doesn't give us much into her, like into her, what she's actually thinking. Um and that could be tough with some yeah. actors, like where you cannot she, read. She's not a character that like vocalizes yeah. her thoughts very often throughout the course of the film. And yeah. to me, that feels just very, very normal for a teenager. Like she is so young. And I think the thing about her performance is that she feels like a kid. She feels like a kid and they put big adult hair on her. And even people comment on on that in the movie. And I think that's all on purpose because the, this all started when she was 14. And yeah, she she went down. Uh, you know, uh, she was there in Graceland when she was like 17, but still pretty young. And I think the movie really, really just makes that clear, like how she is a very young person in this role and or in this situation. And Kaylee Spaney just really does a great job of uh, either through her performance or through her face of just kind of evoking the sense of what she's feeling, even if the movie isn't very explicit about it. So yeah, I thought it was really fascinating. And um, the only other thing I'd have to say is like Jacob Elordi, who, first of all, one of those actors, I, I, I watched him on, uh, on the HBO show on uh, what was called on Euphoria. Euphoria? <laughs> he is perhaps one of the most like villainous, like characters ever put on screen. Right. So to have that guy be Elvis, I think is such a choice. I don't think I can quite remove the euphorianess of his, you know, of just him being in this movie. But I also thought he did a great job. But he also portrays Elvis in a very similar way as like the hot guy who and very popular guy that everybody wants to be around. But there is a darkness to him. And I think he really captures that really well, too. So there's a lot going on in this movie. I do think uh, we'll talk about the ending. I do feel like some aspects of it feel abrupt. I would have liked more. I would have liked maybe a even a deeper window into how Priscilla's feeling or how people feel about her situation. Cause it's just people commenting on like, Oh, she's kind of young. Well, he like suggests he, uh, she goes up to his room and everybody knows what's going to happen. Um, there, there's a weird thing where so many people are just helping this grown man court a 14 year old. And I found that really, really fascinating and really disturbing. It was a sign of the times pretty much every rock star was kind of like doing stuff like this too, but it's still incredibly gross to watch it today. Yeah. Jeff Kanata, you want to share with us your thoughts on Priscilla? Eh. <laughs> <laughs> Just don't feel like on. it. Moving on. I mean, if you want to, if I ask him, I want to, uh, you've never asked that before. I just thought, oh. uh, no, I would love to. And, and honestly, Dave, my thoughts on Priscilla are best summed up in the form of a limerick. All right, let's hear it. Watching these lives intertwine, the performances certainly shine, but the style and the glitz of the rooms and outfits means the real star's production design. Mm. I agree with Lindsay uh, mm-hmm. that th- the tactile nature of this movie is really what, what, moved me most Uh, i was i was uh just how sumptuous everything is i you know give the academy award to costume design of this movie right now like i think there's more costumes on these two actors in the set (laughs) the span of this movie than you know than your average film these there's tons of costume changes all of the material that they're using is like well look at that outfit oh my god and so much of the storytelling is really done through that 
uh, art direction, that that production design, uh, the sets, you know, Graceland itself, but also just you know her, uh, her apartment, where her house that her family came from, you know, all of these places that they're in. And one of the things that I'm I'm so surprised about with this movie is its scope or sort of lack thereof. It is it is very contained and constrained. And I know that a lot of that probably had to do with the fact that they couldn't get the rights to Elvis songs. Uh, so there's no, you know, there's no chance to, to show him actually performing, but whether that was, uh, you know, imposed upon them or that was a, a choice from the start, the, the notion of having this only be witnessing him in those quiet moments, almost there's, there's, I think one brief moment where he is sort of larger than life. Mm -hmm. Everything else is him as a grounded human being through her eyes. And these, the whole movie takes place in rooms in like small rooms. And you don't think of the rock star lifestyle as being that, right? You think of these mm -hmm. sort of grandiose settings and certainly, you know, watching, um, uh, Boz Lerman's film this week, as I did, uh, for the first time, it, you know, it's, it's the opposite end of the spectrum, right? He's right. Boz Lerman is, is telling this almost a, a, a fairy tale, almost, yeah. not even a fairy tale, but like a, a like a, a, you know, larger than life mm -hmm. uh, animated movie, really, of uh, things that could just impossibly large scale. And to see this on the other end of the spectrum of that with this constraint and storytelling wise is constrained as well in that. You know, you you talked, uh, Devinder, about the ending being abrupt. I felt that too. But I think the start of the movie is abrupt mm -hmm. as oh, well. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And you have these, you really have this timeline that is like, we just took a chunk of this person's life, this this Priscilla person, we took a chunk of her life that ended up sort of defining her for millions of people around the world. But it's so beautiful how the movie really shows that all of us have these like these little windows of our lives mm -hmm. that are that have beginnings middles and ends and they're so brief and for her it was defining for her it was uh it it changed the course of everything but it still is just this small little subsection of a life and i thought that was kind of um the magic of this movie is that it is it is small it is constrained it just starts, it just ends, and it's just like, here's this window of time. Very brief in this in the grand structure of things, but it's everything anybody wants to know about this person. And there's so much of her life extends beyond those borders. Um, but I, I thought the movie was lovely as well. I mean, it, it, it does feel, it, it, it's just a sort of this intimate little time you spend with these two people. And yes, it's disturbing. Yes, it's, um, it, you know, you, you feel... Uh, the 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 difference in time in just what not not that long you know uh, not that long yeah, yeah. sixty years mm -hmm. um so I think it's a beautiful vision into that time period it's a it's a, a beautiful vision into how someone can be you know manipulated and controlled in very subtle ways and I just thought it was a lovely sort of intimate portrait of this relationship uh, with great great performances um yeah. Uh, Jeff, uh, it's cool that you checked out uh, uh, the Elvis movie. I'm curious, like I, I'd been I, meaning I, to watch it for so yeah. long, and yeah. just it's so it is a long movie, and it's one of those ones where it's like, ah, how do I carve out time now that it's right. not sort of you know 
a necessity to see it in, in a certain time period. It's like, it's just sitting there on max, the one to watch for HBO. And <laughs> you know, I, I, I can watch it anytime. So I tend to watch it no time. <laughs> That's how it works. It, it just, is funny <laughs> how that movie is very much Boz Lerman, you know, at his maximalist extreme. And this movie is Sofia Coppola at her minimalist extreme too. Like it's yeah. fascinating yeah. how they are reflections of the director. Uh, yeah. Too. I feel, I feel like they're very much like, not necessarily intentionally, but like yeah. in dialogue with each other in the sense yeah. that like Baz Luhrmann's movie is the popular conception of Elvis, right? Like when you think of Elvis, like many of the beats that he hits in that movie, it's what we think of, of that, of that person. Um, and the vision I of, I feel yeah. like it's, it's drawn so, so grandly yeah. that it, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's mythology. It's mythology. Yeah. 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 Yeah, 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 yeah. It's the sure. legend of him. Yeah. Yeah. And, that, that's what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I agree. But whereas this is, not the version of Elvis that most people think about, right? And right. Um, and I just want to say, I want to start by saying, I think something like that is enormously valuable because I think that in general, in our society, we tend to valorize uh, our icons too much. We tend to, tend to think of them as perfect. And then what ends up happening a lot of times is when they say, make one tweet or say one thing that like isn't in line with what we believe, um, we take them down. You know, and there's a yeah, lot of Elvis's like Elvis's tweets are horrible. That you've read <laughs> any horrible. They would have been. They would have been. He would have been problematic AF if he existed in the modern day. I mean, people um, have been like, "How old is she?" Like, the first thing is like Seinfeld right now. Hundred percent. And 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 the uh, and the movie doesn't shy away from from addressing the fact that he was you know ten years older than her and started courting her when she was fourteen years old. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that 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 kind of stuff is very like the the enterprise. I'm a I'm very I think the enterprise is very valuable of like saying like hey these people who we admired who we looked up to who are legends in our minds, um, it might have not have really been a picnic to like be with them you know or they might have had certain toxic traits that like people don't talk about as much because it makes it less convenient to play his records uh, when you have that stuff clanging around in your mind. Uh, so I really like support that. Which is why I was sad that I didn't love this movie more. You know, I thought it was only... <laughs> I, I, I admired so much of what the movie is trying to do. And a, a lot of what you guys have said is correct. And specifically, I think the performances are both excellent. This is really Jacob Elordi's year, by the way. He's also in Saltburn, that new movie yeah. that's coming out. It's the elordi Sons, Where he also right plays a pretty asshole. So I <laughs> yeah. feel like he's really carved out his, uh, his he knows piece his, right now. Yeah, he, he knows, knows his lane. <laughs> he knows his lane. Uh, I'm cursed with this beautiful face. What do I do? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, and yeah, the the woman who plays Priscilla, um, a, a, as you guys have said, uh, uh, Kaylee Spaney, uh, the performance is excellent, but also like the physical transformation mm-hmm. that occurs. Like if you compare what that character looks like at the end of the movie to what she looks like at the beginning, it's incredible. A lot of that is hair and makeup as well. So huge props to them. But I think the performance also shows yeah. that is somebody who has been through something, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I wish that, uh, as, as I've already alluded to, I think the movie doesn't give us that much insight into what she is thinking. Um, it kind of gives us these snapshots of various moments in time mm-hmm. Where we, we get a sense of what she sense wants. Of, we get a sense of sometimes. what she wants. Yeah. We get a sense of like the difficulties that she goes mm-hmm. through. Um, but it, it honestly feels a lot like the the pacing of a regular musical biopic <laughs> just from a different perspective. And I say that using musical biopic in the pejorative sense where it's just like... <laughs> it's we're the walk inter- hard B-side. Exactly. Yeah. We're intercepting <laughs> them at like critical moments, but like we don't know what the in-between moments are, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, we don't know, like, all the stuff that led up to that. We don't know what's motivating a lot of the character. I, I think the I, biggest problem yeah. in that regard is 
I don't, you know, I don't want to talk about the end too, too prematurely, but there, you know, her decision to leave is, it seems to come completely out of the blue. In mm-hmm. the movie. Yeah. I feel Obviously, like there could have been a lot more. of, yeah. you've seen a lot of acts that would lead up to it, but we don't have any insight that she has made a decision mm-hmm. until it sort of has happened. And I think that's unfortunate because I think yeah. I feel like it would have benefited the audience to sort of be inside her decision process in that regard. Yeah. And, and I think that decision process is something that eluded me for most of the film. I think um, I want to understand like, why is she with this guy? Is it just, she just loves him. Is it, does she love the fame? Does she love the accoutrement of fame? Like, I, I wish I had more access to it. I wish I had not even access to it. I wish I had the raw materials with which to make my own interpretation. And I felt like I didn't get that. That said, Lindsay Romain, I'm curious, like <laughs> how you feel about that? Like, do you agree? Do you disagree? Do you think that was the point? Like, what was your reaction? I was about to say, it's kind of interesting hearing you say that. Cause I think maybe Priscilla would feel the same way. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's someone yeah. who is completely lacking agency mm. in her life in the beginning. And I think, remembering that she's 14 when this starts like when I was 14 I was still playing with Barbie dolls you know like that's a child that's a Mm -hmm. young child and I think you know you you don't your personality isn't developed yet at that point so when someone swoops in and especially Elvis I kept thinking how it was interesting that he almost treats her like a father like it's almost like a transferring of fatherly roles he even tells her dad when he's gonna you know try to woo her in like i'll put her in school she'll have babysitters all day basically like you know i think she's a pet like the enclosed the dog that he gives her to you you know like she's a pet yeah yeah it's like and i think because of that i don't think she knows anything about the world so i think by necessity she doesn't have much to say because what does a 14 year old have to say about Mm -hmm. a world that she's not even exposed to? She's so like cloistered into this like house and so suffocated in many ways. So I think I don't disagree that I wish there had been maybe a little bit more at the end, you know, we see certain things that kind of hint at like why she's starting to feel a little bit more powerful and, and ready to leave. But I think, yeah, there could have been maybe just a little bit more of that. I was, I would have liked maybe even just 10 minutes more of, yeah. of the movie. Um, but yeah, I think what's also really interesting about this film uh, that I think I knew going in, I knew Elvis had some of these tendencies, but I was really just kind of moved by what a great depiction of abuse this film was. Mm-hmm. And I mean, a type of abuse that I think we are used to the cinematic version of domestic abuse being hitting people, throwing things at them. And there's a little bit of that in here, but I think the manipulation that he gives her throughout the film or that he, you know, does to her throughout the film is so subtle in ways, you know, like you can see the the magic of this man and you can also see how, you know, all of this, I guess him, you know, the fame, what fame has done to him has made him a little bit of a monster and he, enacts some of that power on this powerless girl, this, Mm -hmm. you know, child. And yeah, I think what you guys were saying too, about how the film is constantly reminding you how young she is, not just with, I mean, I think Jacob Elordi's height really plays an interesting (laughs) role in this film. He's giant. And I think, you know, I don't know that that was the, you know, same height difference in real life, but I think it works so well in this film because he's always towering over her. He's really like, it's reminding you, how young she is. I think she looks like a little girl playing dress up throughout the film. We see her in high school, (laughs) you know, we see all of these just little things that remind us um, that this is a a kid going through all of these very mature things. So yeah, the, the abuse 
elements of it I found mm-hmm. really disturbing. And um, I felt like it was a good to see that in a film like this to remind yeah. you that it's not just, mm-hmm. you know, the, the big bombastic versions of right. abuse that, all the that time. It's, that, subtle, it's subtle and it can be an accumulation yes. of little denials of decisions or, you know, denials or, you know, placing things in a certain way or engineering things in a certain Lack way. Lack of autonomy. Of gaslighting. Yeah. 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 And to completely provide, yeah, controlling. Like, yeah. yeah. Controlling what she wears, controlling. I mean, the part, there was one line that he says earlier on in the film that like sent a chill down my spine. It was when he was first leaving like her behind when he was going to go back to the States. And he said to her, like, be the same when I get back or yeah. like be the same yeah. when I see you again, stay the same. And she's 14 at that point. So he's asking her always be this little girl for me. Mm-hmm. It's, that's it's what I want. His, his vision is like the way the world should be, you know, should be yeah. constructed. I do like that. The movie also makes it very clear. Like she, she is not the only one he's kind of doing this with, right? He, yeah. he has the fan letters. He, we know that he's like seeing other women too, but just the enterprise of like, what, what is up with that soldier and his wife just being like, huh? Oh, that's a cute little girl yeah. at the diner. I'm just gonna yeah, that, reel her in for all like And they do this. They <laughs> do this everywhere. Really, clearly, yeah. yeah. I also That's found weird. myself, uh, you know, as a father, I also found myself thinking about uh-huh. Priscilla's parents and their their predicament <laughs> so because I don't think it's as. I mean, I would love to say that you just go no, but I don't <laughs> think it's that simple. I think you can't that, tell a that, teenager no. Yeah, you can't tell a teenager no if you want to, you know. Well, make, if it's w- literally one of the most famous people on yes, the planet yes. wants to date them, like, my God, what, what is what a situation to be put in? You and know, they, and they would never forgive you. Like, they would never forgive exactly. you. Exactly. Well, I think and, even yeah. more than that, I think it's protection, right? It's like all, especially back, you know, then yeah. being married is an economic thing as much as it is, you know, a romantic one, and I think that's probably on their mind too, right? Yeah, and and you see them at least in the context of this movie. I don't know how accurate it is, but you see them, you know, try to do somewhat of their due diligence to try to like ensure that this isn't a right. horrible situation. And of course, it is a horrible situation. But uh, I don't know. I I I found myself sympathizing with their predicament because that's it's just like a no win situation, right? You know? Yeah. yeah. Totally. Totally. All right, folks. Uh- a few more things to discuss. Let's get to spoilers for Elvis. I'm sorry. Spoilers for Priscilla, the movie, <laughs> starting right now. I thought up an ending for my book. It makes no damn sense. Compels me, though. I didn't come here to tell you how this is going to end. When I buy a new book, I always read the last page first. That way, in case I die before I finish, I know how it ends. You can't handle the truth. Inconceivable. I came here to tell you how it's going to begin. I want to talk about the end of the movie, but I want to make one clarification from earlier. You know, Lindsay, I thought you you know made a good point about uh, maybe this is an actually accurate depiction of Priscilla. You know, and I, I just want to say I'm not necessarily expecting Priscilla to turn to camera and say mm-hmm, mm-hmm. what I was thinking in that moment was blank. You know, I, I, I'm not ex- exactly expecting that, but there's like even though this movie is based scratch. on <laughs> how do you think I got here? You're probably wondering how I ended up yeah. in this situation. It is based on Priscilla Presley's book. Like yeah. it, it, she was actively involved with the movie. Like there are yeah. roots to like get more of that in there. But I just maybe think there's like, like there were so many moments where I wish I had not even access to her thoughts, just more access to like what happened in the situation. So like, like, like what is the daily life like of being a star? Like, how does that change over time? We get a lot of it at the beginning where she's kind of waiting by the phone with her dog for most of the day, but then like at, how does it change over time? What, how does the fame impact her at all? Like, I I feel like we got very little of that. Uh, And so there's just stuff that I felt like, Oh, I'm the, the movie narrows 
the aperture of mm-hmm. what we're looking at in Elvis's life. And, and in this case, it's like focused squarely on Priscilla. And I felt like it, it narrowed it a little too much to the point where I felt like there, there's significantly more I wanted to know about this person's life. And maybe I'll look into it now because because the book has uh, the movie has piqued my interest. But I just wanted to clarify it wasn't like I'm looking for people to just say their thoughts. Uh, right, I, right. I'm just like I, I just want more more of the interstitial stuff yeah. that happens. More like I remember there's one scene towards the end of the movie where um, this is right when she's about to like tell Elvis that she's leaving him, right? And she's hanging out with her friends, which I'm like. Okay, we're don't know who those people are. Would love to know like how that happened because, you know, one of the big difficulties was she had trouble making friends. So it's like okay, I guess she has friends now. And then uh, it's like, hey, Elvis is really calling for you. And and then she's like, oh yeah, he usually likes to do X before or after a gig, right? And that one like tossed off line. There's just a lot of intimacy when you know someone's daily movements like that Mm -hmm. like a lot of intimacy when you know their schedule uh and like can predict like what they need and when they need it and uh and i felt like we only got a glimpse of that like and i really wanted more of like what is that even like to be with him at this stage um that's what i was disappointed by so basically i I like a lot of what the movie did and i just wish i had more access or more um more information about what's going on between these characters. Yeah. Um, I, so. I felt the same way when I mentioned that I wish there was a little bit more at the end. I agree. Like I wanted more seeing her being a little independent, seeing her with her friends. Right, like, like we get a little taste of that, but not, I didn't feel like quite enough to um, just really like place us in that perspective, see the growth. Um, yeah, yeah. I do think it was a little, we also don't know brief. what her leaving means for her. Right. Yeah. You know, it, like the fact yeah. that we just cut off in the car ride away it means that we kind of have no idea what what the ramifications of that decision are for her yeah like does her net like does her net worth change dramatically like you know like what uh is she vilified by the public like what you know what happens um where is she going exactly where is she what does she have to go to yeah her life has been completely him for the entire running time of this film and so Mm -hmm. we don't even know what that decision means we don't know we don't yeah. know what what the connotation of her decision is and i think that's unfortunate because like i would love to know how difficult a decision that ended up being right absolutely yeah. Um, mm-hmm. absolutely yeah. yeah we get uh, we get hints of it too like when they're having the photo shoot right and she has to she has to hand the the kid off to the caretaker there is that moment where it's lisa marie right so yeah there's that moment where she is treating the caretaker like her mom like mm-hmm. like the mother figure, and there is that loss of like, oh, I, I wish I was there, you know, and not really much trapped here. And I think it's it's a lot of that. Like once she arrives, and then Priscilla starts to gain some set of independence. Like clearly, she wants to live a life with her child in a life of her own. That that was kind of the feeling I was getting there. I will say yeah. it was a nice kind of visual moment uh, where when she's about to leave, we see the Graceland gates open up for the last time. And every mm-hmm. single time we've seen those gates open up, there have been like people like taking pictures and standing there. And when she drives out, it's like, it's like she knows this is the final time she's going to drive out those gates. And I, I like that. It's kind of this thing that was set up like throughout the whole movie, every, every, like uh, probably a dozen times we saw those gates with different people. And then the final time it's like, there's a significance to it when she leaves. Uh, and I did really there's- appreciate that. So. 
There's also something else notable about the scene when she leaves. I noticed is when she's walking out the door, all the people saying goodbye to her are women. It's the women staff. Mm -hmm. There's no men. And we've seen her throughout the film completely surrounded by all of these dudes, right? His bros. He has so many bros. I love that he has an an entourage, basically, right? And it's like the same guys. Same guys. It's it's literally, they could be the characters from Entourage, the original series. At one point, they are lined up in height order. And it's just like yeah. Tweedledee to Tweedledum <laughs> over here. It's just like uh, the shortest eyes. It's hilarious. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so, yeah, we see her like kind of with these guys throughout the whole thing. So I thought it was really powerful that at the end, the mm-hmm. people that are like wishing her well as she goes off to the new stage are, are all the women staff who she was kind of kept from. Like we see scenes when, yeah. you know, Elvis interact dad. With them. Yeah. yeah. And she's kind of shut down and not allowed to. So, you know, there's little visual cues like that, I think, that kind of fill in some of the work but yeah it's a little lacking on some of that detail i do agree i do think it does a good job of kind of you know the the movie succeeds in its fundamental quest which is portraying the atmosphere in which priscilla existed as very oppressive right like Mm -hmm. that that is i think one of the key missions of the movie and i think it does a good job of that her world just feels so small throughout the course of the movie um the number of people she can interact with uh, is really small. There's a great moment when she's about to be dropped off at school and Elvis's dad says, remember, you can't invite anyone back to the house. Yeah, <laughs> like, no friends. No friends. <laughs> uh, which I just thought was like a very telling moment and and why, it's, yeah, as you, as we discussed, like why I, I missed uh, any explanation of how she's able to have friends over time and like how that journey evolves. Um, but, yeah. Uh, but yeah, in terms of like the environment that she lives in, it's uh, it's really... Feels feels very unpleasant. Can we can um, we talk about her whole like graduation experience too? Like I think that's all <laughs> kind of fascinating. Like just how it's handled. Um, because everyone's like, oh yeah, you graduated high school. Congratulations. Uh, Elvis is not dating a high schooler anymore. <laughs> like he's out of that that thing. They spend um, the movie spends a lot of time building up to them having sex. You know, and mm-hmm. them and he is rejecting it, which is very unusual for a situation like this, I'd say. So I think that is kind of fascinating and tells us about him as a character and how he saw her. And then we have a scenario where it's just like they're in bed together for like two or three days. And it's shown by, you know, the maid just delivering food in front of the door and her in various outfits. Very telling, right? It's just her dressed up the way Elvis wants in different, nothing real. You know, it's all just like sexy titillation for him, I guess. So that whole sequence was kind of fascinating to me. I thought it was... um kind of a commentary on how someone like Elvis uh, decides to compartmentalize components of his life. That's yeah. kind of how I, like, yeah. he's like, yeah. this This person is in my life to serve this purpose. Yes. Yep. And this person yes. is in my life to serve this purpose and they cannot grow beyond the bounds of that square that I put them in, right? Mm-hmm. It's um, like Tony Soprano, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, the yeah, Gumar yeah. is much different than, mm-hmm. Exactly. You know. And wife. never, never the twain shall meet, or else yeah. like it goes terribly, right? Yeah. I will say though, with Elvis, I think he sort of famously. This is not in the movie, but um, other women who have been his lovers have made it sound like he's not, you know, really up for that with them either. So oh, I think he yeah. just had some some kind of intimacy issues, um, well, or which, or he didn't yeah. um, he didn't have like conventional you know penetrative yeah. sex the way that most people like he 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 prefer he preferred to acquire intimacy in other ways probably right? yeah and I, I think that's what the movie points to mm-hmm. but um, but it also shows that that can be like a very uh, inconsiderate way to approach someone who you have basically 
trapped at your at your compound. Yeah, um, she doesn't yeah, even have room. a room of her own. She's always in yeah. his room. You yeah. know. Yeah. Well, and I think she she wants to have sex with him. I mean, yeah. that's also part of it. She too, is a horny I, teenager. Yeah, through much of the movie. I, yeah, I liked that it depicted that because it's like, yeah, she's almost like, what am I here for? <laughs> it's not for this. <laughs> yeah, uh, right. yeah. And so yeah. I think that adds to some of her kind of internal confusion as well. Is just like, you know. I'm just your little doll, but you won't even show me intimacy. You won't even make me feel worthy of it. Um, Mm -hmm. I thought that was conveyed really interestingly. What did you guys think of this depiction of Elvis? I am curious because I think that I've seen some criticisms that it's like pretty one note. I, I would agree that it shows the nature of his manipulation to be like fairly complicated. Um, and I also think that, it, it reveals that it, like like for the image we get from the movie is that it was largely an unpleasant experience to be married to him. I don't know how accurate that is, um, but I do. But wonder, also, you like, get the yeah, sense from yeah. his perspective that he has room to feel like he's a good person, right? He's yeah. Like mm-hmm. that's that's mm-hmm. the kind of the most uh, nefarious part of it is that from There's his perspective, yeah. yeah, from his perspective, he's a stand up guy. Like I talked to your dad, I made it all right. I'm, I'm constantly taking care of you. I'm kind con- you know, like I, I think that's one of the most interesting things about the movie is exactly what, you know, exactly what, um, uh, what we were talking about earlier when Lin- Lindsay was saying earlier about the, uh, it's not just the thing you usually see in movies where like one person hits another person. It's like, well, there's a evil thing to do. You know, yeah. this is much more subtle than that. And, and you can see from Elvis's perspective that he's perhaps, hiding behind this notion of chivalry, you know, that Mm -hmm. from his perspective Mm -hmm. is the best way I could possibly be, you know? Um, Anyway, sorry to interrupt you, Dave, but that's. Oh yeah, no. Well, I just think it's interesting because uh, it's like a largely negative depiction of Elvis, right? If you watch Elvis and I I would say that was a largely positive depiction of Elvis and all the joy he brought to people's lives, you know? Um, And this is the opposite. I think it's fine that both exist, right? Like, uh, because well, we have the mo- so much of the former already out there in the world, right? I think Boz Lerman um, was vilifying the colonel, right? His yeah, job absolutely. was to make the colonel the evil uh, entity yeah. here. And yeah. we don't have – we have the colonel on the, on the other end of some phone calls. Yeah, we movie. barely get any glimpse of him in this, yeah. in this movie, right? So, yeah. yeah. This, this um, movie could not afford to bring Tom Hanks back to have a <laughs> role, you know? There, there's a concert scene in this movie. I, they were on a stage. You just see the first row. You just see the first row <laughs> yeah. of people. Yeah. just like shadows in the back. It's, so it's, it's like, it's oh, yeah, you filled that concert hall. I Very appreciated clever. the ingenuity with which they got around, like, no Elvis songs and all mm-hmm. the other constraints they had. Um, uh, Lindsay Romaine, any thoughts on, like, this this kind of version of Elvis? And, you know, do you think it's valuable? Do you think it's fair? Or any, any reactions to it? Yeah, no, I think it's really valuable. I mean, I think for the purposes of this film too, right? Like it has a whole different purpose than the Baz Luhrmann film. I think it's interesting too, even to see the like fanfare around the release of of Elvis versus this film, just down to like the Presley family, like loved the Elvis movie. And Mm -hmm. this one has been a little bit more like Priscilla's done some press for it, but it's a little more under the radar with that. So like, obviously, you know, there's, maybe some contention there with this depiction of Elvis. But I think what you talked about, like, or what we talked about earlier in the film or earlier in this conversation, I should say, but that we see earlier on in the film is that this is just a guy. (laughs) Like the first time we see him, he's just at a party sitting on a couch. There's no 
flashing lights. There's mm-hmm. nothing to indicate that he's Elvis, you know, like the superstar. It's just a person in a room. And I think that's really powerful for this story because if we just saw him as this electric, larger than life person, um, I think it would diminish a little bit from what this is trying to tell us, which is that this is a guy who swept into this woman's life who looks like someone, you know, that you not wouldn't see on the street. I mean, he's obviously still tall and handsome and, and Elvis, but <laughs> it just, it, it like, I think it's more intimate. It makes you, it just feels more real. Yeah. And throughout the whole film, I was, I was kind of taken aback by that. And I mean, we do see flashes of happiness too. We see them at like pool parties mm-hmm. and playing, you know, go-karts and stuff. Um, and that makes him feel real too, right? Like just seeing him doing everyday activities. So I thought it worked really well for this. I was really impressed with Jacob Lordy too. I know we already said that, but um, yeah, just the like kind of quiet menace in him. I think it's really interesting if you've seen interviews and stuff too from him, like his preparation for the role versus uh, Austin, <laughs> Austin Butler's. <laughs> he seems to be pretty relaxed about uh, his whole depiction, which right. I think shows in the film. He seems comfortable in his skin. He just seems like this person versus like, I'm going to have this accent for the rest of my life. You <laughs> didn't whatever. have to sing, uh, you know, you didn't yeah, have to do his yeah, own yeah, song. Yeah. So that's a big yeah, difference. That's true. <laughs> it's true. Um, Not to, you know, I think Austin Butler was great, but it just, yeah. it is kind of funny how they approach these roles. I think even just shows up in the like physicality and, and everything. I guess I asked the question because as you indicated, there is disagreement within the Presley family about this depiction. Um, so Priscilla Presley on, on whose biopic this movie is based my understanding is that she liked the movie. Like she was supportive of the yeah. film. Mm-hmm. Lisa Marie Presley apparently uh, wrote in a message to Sofia Coppola before this movie came out, quote, my father only comes across as a predator and manipulative as his daughter. I don't read this and see any of my father in this character. I don't read this and see my mother's perspective of my father. I read this and see your shockingly vengeful and contemptuous perspective. And I don't understand why, end quote. Um, so I, I just think it's interesting that like the family has such differing perspectives mm-hmm. on this depiction. Um, and I, and I don't know if I completely agree with Lisa Marie Presley's assessment of she, her perspective you know? is it's, it's hard because she's the daughter, yeah. right? Like you, right. well, I'm saying, I'm saying I don't, even know, I don't yeah. even know if I agree that uh, obviously she can, yeah, do I don't agree with her, but the I'm way saying, I don't know that it. I feel yeah. that that is the only version of Elvis that we get in the movie. It's close yeah. to that. It's close mm-hmm. to that. But I see a guy who is really struggling with like a lot yeah. of what's going on in his life and yeah. like losing his mother, feeling yeah, we, alone. Yeah. yeah. And we see him as a victim of fame too. Exactly. I think. Like, 100%. Like, he's yeah. not he's not a nice person. He's not like treat he doesn't treat Priscilla well. Right. But I think he, he, it's not like he's I don't see him as like evil in any way. Um yeah. he's just he's another human being that's struggling with the, the mantle that has been placed upon him. So I mean, mm-hmm. on, honestly, it's interesting to talk about this movie the week after we talked about Anatomy of a Fall because exactly, I think it, yeah. it very much, you know, that film's thesis statement, I think, is very pertinent to this one in that you, you it's hard to sum up a marriage yes. even if you're showing a lot of it. You're not showing yeah. all of it and you're not inside it. Uh, we're trying mm-hmm. to, we're still, as much as we're inside Priscilla's experience in this movie, or at least the filmmakers are attempting that, we still don't get the whole picture. And, you know, the, the, as I said, the movie is very limited in scope and, con- and the constraint, I think, leaves out a lot of Elvis, right? Yeah. Because it's not his story. It's Priscilla's story. And, and we're only getting the moments he pops back into her life. But there's, 
large swaths of time and big events that happen in his life that aren't in the purview of this movie at all. It's so constrained, Jeff. Like when Elvis is off, you know, the tabloids are writing about, we don't even know if that actually happened. Like we, all we get is Priscilla's knowledge and like what she has access to. So anyway, it's, it's really fascinating, but um, I, I do think the movie is like, um, Certainly very compassionate to Priscilla. And I, I don't know that it, I, I see it as contemptuous of Elvis. I mean, it's more um, if you've grown up only ever hearing the positive things about your superstar dad, you know, it is very hard to have yeah. even like a hint of realism. It's like maybe he wasn't always the best guy. Maybe he mm-hmm. was a little. There are stories about Elvis making out with 12 year olds, you know, and yeah. people people remember that fondly. Like uh, that 12 year old has grown up to be like, oh, yeah, that was awesome. But there are a lot of things that we could certainly discuss that are troubling, you know. About I think, also, you know, it's a, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Lindsay. Yeah. Oh, I was just gonna say, I think it speaks to the different roles, too, that the Presley women play in, like, mm-hmm. Elvis's legacy. Like, Lisa Marie and now that she's passed, Riley Keough, her daughter, are, like, kind of the arbiters of, like, his legacy. Like, they own Graceland and, like, you know are in control of his will and his finances and all of that. I think they are almost protecting the figurehead of Elvis versus the person. And I think, you know, Priscilla doesn't have that same obligation really. So she can tell her story. And, you know, Lisa Marie was a child when her dad died. She wasn't there through Mm -hmm. a lot of this or wouldn't have the memories of it. So it's like, she's valid and in a sense of, you know, that's her right to, to feel that way. But um, yeah. And also, as you mentioned, you know, she passed, before having a chance to see the film. Right? Yeah. yeah. This is a comments based on reading a screenplay, we assume. That's right. That's so right. yeah. who knows if her feelings about the final film would be yeah. consistent, you know? Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. All right, folks. Uh, any other thoughts? We got to talk about Priscilla? the ending. We oh, do. Yeah. Go, I think the ending is key. I mean, uh, so t- tell us what happens at the end. I mean, she's driving away to, I will always love you sung by Dolly Parton. I feel like there are layers of like what's going on there. But yeah. Um, yeah, Lindsay, I think you had a lot of thoughts about this. Well, I, I think it, it's one of those things that's not spelled out in the film. But if you mm-hmm. know the history of that song, it was written by Dolly Parton and Elvis was going to record the song until Dolly Parton realized that she would give up the rights and have you know her name kind of taken away from this, wouldn't make money from it. And so she took it back for herself uh, and decided to record it herself. And it was no longer an Elvis song. And is that not like mm. <laughs> kind of such a mm-hmm. like perfect endpoint to this film of like a woman refinding her voice, reclaiming her voice and her power. And, you know, I, I thought that that was a really genius choice and um, just like the perfect way. I, I, again, if you don't have that context, it might not feel quite as powerful, but I do still think even just the, words in the song uh kind Still of a great they, song too like yeah. the, the use of contemporary music and like music not from essentially that era i think was really well done another thing sofia coppola is always very good at you know just music selection in general yeah right right yeah uh very cool and thank you for that background Lindsay. uh yeah. all right i think that's going to bring us to the end of our conversation Lindsay romaine before we wrap up here you want to tell people where they can find more of your work on the internet yeah, I'm, I'm not online a lot. I'm not on X uh, or the <laughs> artist formerly known as Twitter, um, but I am on Blue Sky. So you can find me at Lindsay Romaine on Blue Sky. Um, I write for Nerdist still regularly, and then I do essays fairly consistently for Bright Wall Dark Room. Um, yeah. Well, we really appreciate you joining us today, Lindsay. It's been a delight as usual. And uh, thank you so much for watching or listening to this conversation about Priscilla. At the end of the day, it is really impressive that Sofia Coppola made 
a movie. You can find more episodes of this podcast at thefilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Our theme song comes from Tim McEwen from The Midnight. Our spoiler bumper and weekly plugs music comes from Noah Ross, who also edited this episode. Next week, it's going to be The Marvels, uh, the latest Marvel film. And uh, I don't know. I feel like I feel like a little, a little bit, not a lot, a little bit's riding on this one. I feel like uh, just a bit, you know, uh, uh, going to be very interesting to see how this movie turns out creatively, artistically, and also financially. Um, but I am looking forward to. It. I actually, uh, I may have already talked about this earlier in the podcast, but we recorded <laughs> this before. Uh, I watched the entirety of Miss Marvel this week to prepare hey. for the Marvels. So. Uh, we were trying to talk you into watching that for the longest time. I'm glad it worked. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So anyway, uh, sorry if I talked about this earlier, but you know we're time traveling here. Anyway, mm-hmm. uh, okay. <laughs> All that said, yeah. Uh, next week uh, it's going to be the Marvels. Tune in to hear our conversation about it. Um, and again, Patreon.com/slash/filmpodcast where you can support this podcast. Thanks so much to everyone who makes this show possible. We'll see you later. Goodbye. <laughs>